It's that time of the year again. We get to start talking baseball, and there's an interview too. You don't want to miss this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, we are back again. Episode number, I think it's 114. I am right. It is 114. I'm Nick. Nice. He's, he's Will. We have an interview. We'll get to that in just a minute. But we also have an, an American Association preview. The next week, we have a Frontier League preview. And the week after that, we have an Atlantic League preview, which ironically will be probably recorded and uploaded like after the season begins, which is kind of funny in a way, but eh. Uh, but yeah, we, we got, we got baseball to talk about for the, for the foreseeable future now, actually. Nick, so what you, what you're telling me is that there's going to be legitimate baseball played in not just one, but three different independent leagues within the next, within the next two to three weeks. And we like actual, we're like, we're not just talking about like hypotheticals and, uh, uh, stadium leases and, uh, which teams are and expansion like we're actually talking about they're actually playing a game the game of baseball with bats and balls and gloves and and all that good stuff that's correct although i will say they like to be called partnership leagues now uh yeah that we did we did we have talked about that a lot yeah. it's, been, it's been a long road it's been a very long road i know like it's really been a long time getting to this point and i really do pity anyone that started like you know, something to talk about actual baseball in the field in any of these leagues in, like, 2020. I really do pity any of them because, I mean, like, that's a rough draw. It's a rough draw, and I just hope that we're able to really catch people up on the the content they were missing, to be honest with you. I mean, we, we were essentially the American Association podcast uh, <laughs> during the uh, those two months in 2020 during the, during the summer, but... Yeah to say i because I, I was not a uh, co-host during the time of of 2019 when the uh, atlantic league atlantic league frontier league american association all that stuff was in action i was i certainly was a listener so uh i can I can confirm everyone everyone's in for a treat it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun and uh one of those one of those things before we get into baseball though we have to get into previews which is w- one of the things i absolutely love doing and it, it is preview season one of my favorite times and i, I can't wait Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only downside with everything hitting at once is that it's just a lot of work to do. Like with the previews and whatnot, you got to bang out like two of them a day. And the worst part with the previews is you can't really do any work in advance, at least not that far in advance, because the rosters change so much. So you have to like either stay on top of them and do it all like throughout the year, or you have to just say, screw it. And just do them all at once, right at the same time, right before the season begins. So there is a plus side of doing it that way, which is when we do a show like this, you already have a pretty rough idea of everybody that's listed and whether they're good or not. So that's, you know, a positive there. But before we get into any of that, we do have an interview, which I guess we should probably get to that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, last week, we talked a bit about the Jackson Generals and the Winnipeg Gold Eyes and how we have one that's renting a stadium from the other, although the city is saying, no, you can't do that because we don't have a lease. And I saw that we got a lot of attention about that in the sense of a lot of people had some very strong opinions as to the matter, as 
Some were against the city, some were against the team. And a lot of people were just kind of curious as to what the situation actually entails, because let's be honest, this is a drama filled situation. So we had, yeah. yeah, So we had someone reach out to us and, uh, he wanted to come on to explain the whole thing. And to be honest, he's very well versed in all of this. Yeah, he's very well versed. And he was, it was a very, uh, informative interview though. I was not, uh, I did not uh, conduct the interview. Um, it was, I, I did, I did listen to it. So it's, um, it, it was a really informative interview. Um, the, a lot of a lot of the backstory, I guess, that you could only be from or in Jackson, Tennessee, to really to really understand and really know uh, what what's going on there. Um, you know, I, I want to get into one specific part. I, I'll save that for after the interview, though, because I because I, I don't want to spoil it. There's there's a couple parts that I found uh, particularly interesting, and I guess more you that more unique. Uh, than other markets that ended up getting um, and more more so than markets that ended up getting caught, you know, the Staten Islands and the the uh, the other teams that lost their minor league affiliation. And there is one thing that sets Jackson apart, and you'll you'll hear it pretty early on in the interview, uh, and uh, and I, I will, that will certainly be what what I touch on after. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was a great interview, and I'm looking forward for to people to hear it. Yep, absolutely. So without further ado, we'll get to our interview with, uh, I guess at the time he was with the Jackson Sun, but now he's with the Tennessean, our interview with uh, the journalist Adam Friedman. All right, we are back again with another guest this week, and it is a timely guest at that we decided we wanted to bring on somebody that would know an awful lot about this current situation involving the Gold Eyes and the Jackson Generals and the city of Jackson, Tennessee. So we decided who else would we better to bring on than, I'd say, one of the leading experts in Jackson Generals baseball, Adam Friedman. So first off, welcome to the show. And secondly, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I was joking with you before. I, uh, pretend to call myself the foremost experts in Jackson Generals baseball because there aren't a lot of people in Jackson covering it, the yeah. team, and I was one of the few who did. Hey, we need people like you covering all these things, especially uh, the show in particular because guys like you come in real handy around here. So I, I guess on that note, we could kind of just get started by, obviously, we became aware of a little bit of a, I guess, bit of tension between the team and the city back when the team lost its affiliation and when we started doing a little bit of work and then when uh, we got in contact with each other, uh, we I started looking at your previous work and it's been a long standing history of not exactly the best of relationships between the team and the city, regardless of who was the mayor in at that time. So I was just wondering if you could kind of give us a little bit of a background information about the team up to this point before we start getting into the, uh, I guess, more independently centric viewpoint. Yeah, so the the team moved to Jackson in 97 for the 98 season. Um, and so back then it was kind of a a new thing. It was like they're running baseball. Jackson is a small town out in West Tennessee. I mean, it's about halfway between Nashville and Memphis. So um, two city people will know where that, but you won't know where Jackson is. And so when it moved there, it was this like awesome thing. I mean, people were, you know, they were selling out every single night, even on like a Wednesday night, they were something. And then, I spoke, you know, I talked to the previous owner of the team who, you know, has on the team probably a decade or so. And he was doing all kinds of stuff to draw people in. It was like 
it was the event of Jackson to go to these baseball games. Uh, then over time, it sort of became less of a novelty, less of a, um, less of a, a like go-to place and ownership changed a couple times. That was some of the factors. Um, and then essentially, eventually we ended up with the current owner, uh, in 2008. And then he was basically threatening to leave, go, New Orleans, I think you could, there's a bunch of other cities that they were on the list, but that was at least one of them. And so the previous mayor of Jackson and him basically negotiated a really, really sweetheart deal to keep him here. Um, but a lot of it was done under the table, uh, known from the public, all kinds of money went out the door that nobody really knew about. And so starting in about 2019, 2020, um, we over at the Jackson Sun started to unravel some of that, uh, agreements and extra spending. I mean, we found like, $3.6 million of extra money sent to the team without really anybody knowing over about an eight, nine year period. And so then fast forward to today and we've got a, the current mayor with, uh, you know, all that information behind him. And now he doesn't really trust the current ownership. who is that same owner. Yeah. And he is sort of, I think just frustrated by the situation. I think a lot of money was spent and not spent wisely. And so, um, that's where we are today. We're like, basically they're kind of, uh, yeah. what's the right way? Press releasing back and forth right now, basically yeah. fighting through press release where the current owner wants to do certain things. And the mayor's like, well, we don't really want you here at all. So just no. Yeah. It's, I mean, I can understand why you wouldn't be happy if millions of dollars were, you know, sent their way under the table. That certainly is going to, uh, you know, it's not to sit well with a lot of people. And I'm just wondering if with this kind of, you know, news coming to light, has that like, negatively impacted the perception of the team around uh, people in the general area or is that just kind of like i don't want to say it doesn't matter but it just hasn't had much of an effect you know it, it has been a pretty big deal in the city okay um, in the sense that i the thing about this team is it when it first came here they were doing a kind of awesome promotions i mean you yeah. know minor league baseball the yeah. way to draw fans in is with promotions I mean, that's yeah. part of it. That's part of the game. I mean, you can draw on the baseball fans and then the draw on the non-fans. You got to get a little bit of both. The game yeah. sport, you can't just survive off your core base. I mean, it's the same thing for basketball, same thing for hockey, for football, same, same concept. And so what happened is the ownership changed hands. The, there stopped being those kind of like cool things, right? There stopped mm-hmm. being this kind of almost like a community topic. The previous owner would go out into local churches and local organizations and it would really be like, we'll sell you group seats and come for Wednesday night games, right? Cause you know, yeah. weekday games can be hard to sell and whatnot, but they, they stopped doing that kind of community outreach. And so that lost some ties. And then you add an effect that basically because they didn't, they didn't spend the money to do that outreach, the taxpayers had to come in and subsidize a bunch of it and create this whole situation where basically, you know, they're getting a bunch of money from the taxpayers to supplement the fact they aren't doing probably the community work that they need to be doing to keep the team kind of, um, known and, um, as kind of a, a brand community. And so it's, it's really, really the last 15 years have been kind of, this is kind of a downhill kind of fall for the team. And a lot of it, I kind of think falls on ownership and just the fact that they just really didn't, didn't do the community on the ground work to keep it kind of alive. But right? I'm from Indianapolis. Yeah. Um, maybe never in, 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 Indians there. I mean, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, victory field has got all kinds of like, you know, sponsorships or it's like, you know, advertising around the city. I mean, there's like the, I think it was, it was Indians children's like fun, stuff like that. And the generals just don't really have any of that. So it's just sort of broken their kind of ties with, with the local residents. Yeah. So it's kind of just an additional thing on top of just not maintaining the relationships with the important groups in the city and just the, the people of the city in general. 
yeah, it's like the icing on the cake, right? It's the top. It yeah. may not be the, the, the deals and all the side stuff and all the extra money might not have singularly been the thing that would have kind of sunk the relationship, but it was kind of like we were already, you know, 80% of the way there and the last little piece just kind of kicked yeah. into the ground, basically. Yeah, the ship was already listing and this is just what's going to knock it right over and, and turn to the basically. Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so I guess that kind of brings us to up to current day, which is now they're fighting each other through the press releases, and now supposedly the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, one of the, I suppose, longer-term and more well-known, not just uh, American Association teams, but independent league teams or partnership ball now, technically, uh, teams in general, have an agreement with the team to lease the ballpark, but the city clearly disagrees with that interpretation of the lease, and... I'm going to defer to you to kind of explain the lease and the current yeah. beef between all three of them, uh, at least at this point. Yeah. So fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, I am, I am well-versed in that lease agreement. The 22 page yeah. document I've read more times than I care to admit. Yeah. Um, essentially the agreement comes down to this. There's a clause in the agreement that says that the team is no longer affiliated with a single A, double A or triple A franchise, that the agreement mm-hmm. is void. Yeah. Um, Really not a lot of other ways to read it. I mean, I'm sure you can make a legal case and go to court and fight over it. And I think they're currently in arbitration right now because of their, basically when you're in violation of the lease, so they exercise the arbitration clause in it. That, that's where they are currently. Yeah. Um, and so the city is not out interested in temporary solutions, right? The, yeah. the, the team has got some content it brings in or some, you know, other events it can bring in. And the Golden Eyes would obviously be a temporary solution, right? It would be yeah. a team that's probably only playing maybe this year, maybe next year if the border stays closed with Canada, but with the way COVID's going and the vaccines, we're probably heading yeah. towards a point next year where things will be, you know, back to whatever we want to call the new normal. So yeah. the, the city doesn't just want a one-year solution. And it feels like the owner, at least, is just trying to buy himself more time before he can try to get some kind of independent franchise. And I think the city would accept an independent franchise at some point, I just don't know if, well, I don't, I don't think they want the current owner involved. I think the current ownership has sort of spoiled the relationship with the city and the city council because of all the kind of side agreements he made with the previous mayor. And while he maybe wasn't the one who like initiated all those agreements, he kind of took advantage of the city um, over the last 10 years and made a lot of money or at least didn't, you know, in baseball, like, I don't know if he's going to make a lot of money, but at least didn't lose a lot of money because of it and hasn't really, I think, put the investment that um, somebody who's received like three and a half million dollars under the table you would expect to see right he just hasn't you know he's not really not really a public face he doesn't really you know not really known around town even the general manager is not really that well known around town they're just not a very you know there's not like a very like large presence in the city in a way you would think for being the only professional sports franchise in this small town they could be yeah so it's they're not really active in it and i've seen tossed around uh online whenever we post something about this or other people uh post something about this i see a lot of uh, a sentiment going you know shame on the city for trying to take baseball away here but it, it, i never really read it that way i always read it as well they're enforcing a lease that they, they have every right to do that and clearly like you said they, they don't want a stopgap solution they want something that's going to last for years and years and years as opposed to just one-year solutions and one-year fixes that won't really do any good in the long term yeah and I don't, I mean, I look at it the other way. I don't think yeah. the city's taking away baseball. I think yeah. the ownership is basically ruined baseball in the city in a yeah. way that it maybe it's repairable in the long run. And, you know, I, you would, it wouldn't surprise me if 
this whole thing gets settled the next year or two. And three years down the road, we see a minor league team in Jackson, whether it's because maybe it's a national and it's still a long shot and they end up being affiliated with that. I think that just, just something like that. But I think that the team really has not done itself any favors, right? This isn't really as cut and dry as it, like the city doesn't want baseball. It's more like they don't want that ownership because it's felt like it's taken advantage of them and they don't want to be taken advantage of anymore. And I give some credit, you know, the, the mayor Jackson and I don't always see eye to eye and he, I know for sure doesn't always like me very much, but he yeah. does have, he does, he is looking out for his citizens and looking out for the money they spend. And he, he, he really looks at it as like, we have a finite amount of money to spend on things. We have priorities in terms of we need to fix this. We need to do this thing. We need to build this new school. We need to fix this road. And at times he, he looks at the baseball team as something right now that just isn't necessarily worth the same amount of money as fixing some of the more um, underlying problems in the city. And I think baseball would do great in Jackson if it had the right ownership. I mean, it's proven that in the past. It just needs to, it needs kind of a, a new start, a restart, a, a, a refresher almost. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this dozens of times over when we had uh, have Rob Pimsner on. He was talking to Stan Island. He said, "Look, the current ownership group killed baseball in Stan Island. They did. They wanted nothing to do with the community, and uh, we saw the results of that. And it seems to be a similar case here. From what you say, is this the ownership group didn't care enough to do the work, and now they're just trying to find little like kind uh, of." dink and dunk solutions to an underlying problem which is they're the problem they need to be gone for yeah you, yeah you, i think in minor league baseball because a lot of the people that got involved in it are people who can't afford a major league franchise because obviously those things cost hundreds of millions and not billions of dollars now yeah. um and they're not necessarily i don't think many of the owners they come in i mean there's some great owners in the business, but there are the minority or a, a percentage of minority owners who are just in it Basically, they thought I can own a team for 10, 11 years. I can get all kinds of, you know, taxpayer money and not have to worry about losing money. And then I'll sell the thing for double the price. Yeah. And that's why they're in it. They're not in it because they love baseball, they love the community. I mean, you, I mean, there are plenty of things where it is that way, where the owner is in it because he's a local guy and he loves owning the baseball team and he loves bringing, you know, people to and he loves just being an entertainer. But there are also some who just aren't that way, who are just businessmen who view this as just like a, a an investment. And a lot of them are getting kind of, kind of hurt now because they didn't do the work and minor league and major baseball kind of realized that and was like we need to be in places where the where people where we want to be where people want us and where ownership is really caring about you know the city because you see this with professional at the professional level they're just like standard professional sports teams they get you know they have all kinds of community funds charities they're at local schools all the time stuff like that i mean you, you know there's all kinds of stuff for the local you know with a baseball team in a like cincinnati for example all kinds of community ties and you know these minor league teams have sort of not done that and obviously they don't have the same amount of money so it's understandable yeah. but there should be it should be some community ties you should feel like that like you know whether it's just like every you know every kid gets to go to the baseball stadium and run the field and that kind of stuff is or you know local schools you've got a little events there like you just don't see that in jackson the way you, you would think for such a nice stadium that they built you know and a lot of money that was all basically publicly funded right there, there should yeah. be some of that yeah, no, I mean, that's part of what you see about independent league baseball. They don't have the luxury of, you know, not being able to do that kind of thing because they're entirely on their own. They have to pay their players, pay their coaches, pay the, pay everything. They're, at the end of the day, responsible for that bottom line. They have no money coming to them from anywhere else outside of their, themselves and any deal they may or may not have with uh, the town or city they're in. So that's part of what's nice about that. I do want to touch on uh, what you said about the stadium there, because obviously being in New Jersey, I've never actually been to Jackson, Tennessee. So I'm just kind of curious as to what the stadium itself is like, you know, any sort of amenity it has, uh, 
how relatively new it is or old it is and just generally speaking uh the the overall condition and shape of the stadium itself yeah so this is another the stadium was another reason the team was on the chopping block I mean, ownership uh fan you know the, the attendance level in the stadium were kind of three factors yeah. from what i kind of could gauge from talking around mlb sources um the stadium is is a good stadium it's maybe not a top level double a triple a stadium because it's you know yeah. if you go to a city like jacksonville you know they've got you know 20 30 40 times the money that the city of jackson has just in terms of its government budget i'm, I'm sure yeah. um but it, it's a good stadium in the sense that like i think any and i heard this from um talking to some frontier the people any independent league will look at the stadium as a really nice stadium because it's yeah. been relatively remodeled it's got a good scoreboard they just did someone that just did some wall work there recently and it's in a good spot it's you know it's in kind of this area called the sports play, which is a lot of like um, baseball fields for kind of um, baseball, youth baseball tournaments. So it's going to yeah. kind of a good spot. They're going to build a great wolf lodge, not far from the stadium too. And the next couple of years is the plan. So like, it's, it's a, I wouldn't call it like a top tier level, but it's a nice stadium that can easily keep hosting baseball with just, you know, and maybe some minor improvements each year over the, you know, the next decade or so. I mean, eventually they'll have to do something maybe with the locker rooms and whatnot, but for now it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty solid stadium. And it's built about, 20 is built when the team came here so 22 23 years ago now okay so it seems just like with an active ownership group that the stadium would be perfectly acceptable for uh for an independent league team yeah i i think the the city keeps saying they're going to rfp uh and that means yeah. they're going to like put it out for proposal and so the they just want to see what they could get i mean I, I think they could they could probably get some independent baseball leagues or somebody mm-hmm. trying to say hey we want to put a team there or do this or do that they just they just want a, a new start. That's the thing. They don't necessarily know what they want. I mean, if somebody comes to them and says, I can turn this stadium into this X thing and, you know, it's going to be great and I'm going to put up this much money and maybe I need a little bit of taxpayer money, but I need, I know I'm going to put up 90% of the money that might do that. But I mean, I don't think they're opposed to baseball. I think they're really just opposed to this ownership group, which, which ties all back to the fact that like, you know, there was a huge public corruption issue. I mean, there was a whole um, Tennessee comps, which is basically the investigative body of the state, investigated the whole contract, the whole situation, confirmed a ton of our reporting about it, and came to the conclusion that maybe there was nothing illegal here, but it was certainly shady and very unethical un- at, at the minimum. Yeah, and that's obviously going to rot any sort of relationship there, and you wouldn't want that hanging around. And I mean, that's just what happens when you have uh, you know, take these kind of under-the-table deals and take the shortcut way of doing things. It, you know, it's eventually going to come back and get you. So it seems yeah, like that's what I, happened here. Yeah. There was actually, they, the city hired an, in, an internal auditor to sort of look at the situation as well. And he said it best. He said, if this was all presented to you guys and you guys approved it 10 years ago, I'm not sitting here. It might, you, you might say you got a bad deal because you spent too much money. But if you had known about it up front, nobody's, you know, nobody's complaining. It's the fact that you did this all under the table and pretended like it you weren't spending as much as you thought you were. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be a problem. And I do want to, before I go on to like the kind of last line of questioning I have, I do want to just touch on uh, some of the things you said. You said you had talked to some Frontier League people, and you said that the, state, the city and the stadium could host an independent league team. So I'm kind of curious uh, if you heard anything about any particular league going there, if it was just more or less just kind of asking around. So... Uh... I started this reporting in 2019 and kind of led through most 2020. The problem is the pandemic threw a lot of things for a loop, right? I think if you talked to me in like July of 2019, I would have told you there was a frontier league team looking around, trying to figure out how to get involved here. And it was, it could happen. 
Uh, now I just don't, you know, the pandemic screwed so many things up and threw so many things for a loop. It's sort of, it could happen. It could not. I mean, just, I, I don't, I don't know what, you know, especially with the with MLB switching up all their independent leagues and kind of reaffiliating them under their own umbrella, you know, who knows what could end up there. But I, I do think an independent baseball team is probably what ultimately ends up in that stadium Sunday. I just don't know if it's like a next year or two year or three year. Um, you know, there's always this fear of like an empty stadium. I think that's a little bit overblown simply because the stadium is in a spot where they can at least still play high school tournaments in it and do local championships for their youth tournaments. So it won't be completely empty. And they, you know, at some point, I think it is too nice of a stadium in a city that at least has a rich based history. And I think the MLB honestly um, would want to make an effort to, you know, put something there because I think they look at the situation and realize how much money the taxpayers spent and don't want to be also kind of blamed, you know, as though, yeah. no, Jackson spent all this money and MLB just said, no, nah, you don't need a team anymore. I don't think they want that necessarily around them either. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, now having all these, like the kind of major independent leagues now kind of fold into this MLB partnership program, I imagine a team like, say, possibly the American Association or the Frontier League would be interested in it. And then there's also dozens of, of uh, independent leagues that aren't actually part of the partnership program uh, that also could go in there too. And and from what you say, it sounds like the perfect kind of independent market where it's not one of these kind of major cities, but they certainly do have a base. And it seems like when ownership was, you know, doing their job, being active, getting in the community, hitting the pavement, that the community responded by showing up at the ballpark. And if that can be replicated again, then I see no real reason why it couldn't uh, work again, especially on an independent level that specializes in that uh, community driven focus. Yeah, I mean, the the team did does really well on Saturday nights, and that's probably everywhere. Yeah. I'm sure Saturday night's a big night for any kind of entertainment in the summer. But they did particularly well because they made Saturdays kind of a marquee entertainment night. They had giveaways and fireworks shows like that. Now, it's worth noting that that was all paid for by the taxpayers. Basically, yeah. the city, the team just billed the taxpayers for the fireworks show that they, but that doesn't matter at the end of the day. But like, that's the kind of thing where, they made an effort and especially with independent league, I know they don't play every day of the week all the time. So mm-hmm. there's a, an opportunity to, if you, you know, on a, on a little homestand, let's say to really promote the heck out of it because the team won't be there as often. And you can kind of, I think at least get a decent crowd size and make it work. You know, obviously with business, it's always a risk no matter, you know, independently or whatnot. And yeah. you have to see if it makes it work financially and it might be hard, but I, I, I do think there's an opportunity if somebody's willing to actually, you know, put a little money up and show, that they're basically not the previous ownership, that they have an opportunity to really sort of grasp the city and, and re, you know, maybe even kind of reintroduce baseball to it in a way and make it sort of an, an event, not just, you know, because that's what it, that's what it used to be. The games were, were just a piece of a bigger thing where it was like everybody wanted to be at the ballpark because it was a Saturday night. And if you weren't there, you're, you know, you would, you would hear it on Monday morning. Right. And that's what they have really become. And there's not, a, you know, Jackson is not like a hugely highly entertainment city. There's not, you know, all kinds of stuff going on Saturday nights. So there's an opportunity where if you make it a, a must have place to be, people will show up. Yeah. I mean, we've heard that with a lot of other people we had on where, you know, it, baseball is important to, you know, baseball game, obviously, but having people be entertained and want to come back is the primary focus. It's a, it's a night out. It's an entertainment thing. As basically every commissioner we've had on says, we're not competing with other baseball teams or things you'd think. We're competing with the movie theater. We're competing with concerts. We're competing with other entertainment options. So we need to make sure we provide more entertainment 
than they are. And so I'm, I'm going to guess here, just as kind of like a general overall point here, that any sort of plan that includes the current ownership group is just going to be destined to either not occur or destined to fail, at least at this time in the city. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't, it's in the way. I mean, even if the mayor was for it, I'm not even sure he could get a city council to approve it. I mean, that yeah. that, that, that city council, um, I think, feel, I mean, there are at least a few of them who, at least on the leaders, feel betrayed by what happened with the baseball team. And, you know, some of them weren't even on it when it got approved, but they, they feel like this ownership group took advantage of the taxpayers, of the mayor. And even if, you know, they've maybe blamed the mayor for giving that kind of deal, they were still part of it. And, and that's ruined it. And I just, you know, I don't think they're ever going to get a local ownership in Jackson because there just isn't that kind of money. Nobody has that kind of money and wants to do it, but they just want some kind of ownership who it feels like wants to be there and cares. And I'm not sure the current owner who is really just kind of a guy who is not very public and not very out there and stuff like that is what the city wants. They want somebody who they feel like they have some ties to and some influence with because at the end of the day too, when it comes to this kind of thing, it's like you got to also stuff tickets to, you know, the business community and the, and the, the country club folks, unfortunately, you know, yeah. it's a probably a bad way to say that, but that's what you have to do. You know, you have to be able to go to, you know, those business people and say, Hey, buy a, you know, a block of tickets for the season. And that's what they did early on. It was like, go to this, you know, they would go to whatever company it was, whether it's the big law firm or the big manufacturer and say, buy hundred tickets for the season. We'll give you a discounted rate, but that way then you send all your employees and it's a big deal. And everybody will like it. And that's how you, you know, that's how you ultimately survive as, as a, as a sports franchise. And, it's just not what this team does right now. It's, it's, it's very like, I mean, I, it's just, they just, they just feel like they're playing in a very, you know, a very small budget, which is sort yeah. of a, uh, in a, in a smaller, you know, yeah. arena in some ways. And so that's been some of the issues. Yeah, definitely. So then I guess, uh, one of the last questions I do have is I'm kind of rerouting back to the current position, which is Winnipeg is slated to be renting the stadium from the team. Obviously, the lease it says that's not a feasible thing because you can't rent something from someone that doesn't, you know, have any right to be there. So, I guess I'm wondering how you could see that shaping up. Is it going to be, you know, uh, within a month from now, the gate's going to be locked up and Winnipeg's going to be hitting the road to find somewhere else to play, or is it going to be they're going to get to play the whole season in Jackson? You know, I'm not even. So the, the the announcement of the deal right came from the ownership yeah. of the generals ultimately. So I'm not even sure what the deal is or how it was in place. Mm. You know, if Winnipeg had come directly to the city, yeah, I I could see them playing their next year, right? I mean, it, it's you're not sure temporary solutions, but also if you've got no deal in place, you just rent it out for four or five months and say it's fine because you're not going to be able to you know yeah. in four or five months anyways find anybody for the tenant. Like I said, it's just it's the ownership. I mean, I you know and and they're. I mean, I've, we've, I reported this in the beginning. I mean, I think this ownership and the mayor office are heading toward, toward a lawsuit of some kind where mm. the, they basically try to evict the owner and the owner claims the city didn't give him enough support, uh, or whatever. And I don't know if that's, you know, yeah. and honestly, it might just be a threat to sue. I mean, the owner of the generals used to own a team out in Kissimmee, Florida called the Florida Fire Frogs. They yeah. also got, um, unaffiliated, mm. uh, this last December, but they did not play. They played in a stadium outside Orlando that then got converted into a soccer stadium. Um, mm-hmm. for like a minor league MLS team. And mm-hmm. basically the city paid him to go away. I mean, he was like, he had his lease very similar to the one that not necessarily with all like the side stuff, but similarly like clause with all this kind of stuff with the one in Jackson in the, in the, the mayor or the, whatever the, the government body there just said, here's I think a quarter of a million dollars. We don't want you anymore. And that's probably what the ownership is ultimately after. They just want to buy out. But, um, you know, I don't, with 
I don't know how it's going to work with, you know, if he has no franchise. He just lost, you know, whatever how much money he spent on the team 15 years ago. So he might be stuck in even a little more because he's got so much more to lose. Exactly. So it'll be interesting to see how that winds up playing out here. Uh, Seeing as we're kind of reaching towards the end of the time here, I don't really have uh, terribly much left to ask. So I guess I'll kind of park the last uh, three and a half or so minutes here for you to uh, promote anything you want to promote, say anything you want to say, maybe clarify anything that you may want to clarify, or if you had another thought that came to you somewhere during the interview uh, on a topic we moved past uh, and you want to go back to it, uh, you could do that. Uh, whatever you want to do with the last uh, three or so minutes of, of the interview, uh, the time the time is yours. Uh, the floor is yours. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I think that the situation as it comes to outside 30,000-foot 30, 30, view is it's it's complicated. It's not as simple as the mayor doesn't want baseball in, in Jackson. Um, I don't think necessarily sure. Now he might may want something else to that stadium. I'm not, not saying that, but I think there's just the story is so complicated in the relationships between, cause Jackson's a small city. So everybody knows everybody. Everybody's got, you know, something related around, knows something with that ballpark or something tied to it or, you know, it's had interactions with each other, whether in the business side or political side. And so it's just, it's, it's a, complicated kind of deeper story than than just the city doesn't want baseball they just they just want a fair deal for their taxpayers it seems like at times and and they just want somebody who they think they can trust and it's kind of going to like treat them right and treat the taxpayers right because that's not necessarily what happened the past 10 12 years they you know the a lot of money was spent for this baseball team when a lot of other priorities were put aside because they felt like the city like the mayor of Lisbon felt like he wanted baseball there and it hasn't been the the rocket kind of investment they thought it would be you know that the area where the stadium is is growing but not i think of what you know they thought it would be when they put a baseball stadium there and they put a ton of government money around there just to kind of keep it afloat and so it's sometimes i think you look at it and it feels like bad money after bad you know good money or bad money after good money so on and so on so um yeah you can Read some of our coverage, I guess, if you type in Jackson Sun, Jackson Generals, Adam Friedman, some of those lines, you can read some of the stuff we've done. A lot of our stuff is kind of behind a paywall because you got to, you know, get subscribers to survive. Um, I, I left the Jackson Sun about a month ago um, to work for our, like, a larger kind of a paper of the Tennessean, which is in Nashville. So I work there now. But you can follow me at Freeman Five on Twitter. Um, but I still sort of obviously am uh, pretty in tune with most of the Jackson General stuff and I'm sure I'll do some occasional reporting on it because it has been sort of um, one of our kind of top as a Tennessee network of newspapers uh, stories of 2020. I mean, it was probably one of the, the top investigative pieces we, we looked into all, all, all last year. Uh, and you, you clearly know what you're talking about. We'll definitely uh, drop some links to some of those articles in our show notes if people want to read more about it to make it easier for them to find it. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time to do this day. I really do. And I certainly learned a lot from this. And hopefully uh, the people listening learned a lot about this situation, too, because it's been a very complex situation. Clearly, it's been a, a long ride the whole way through. Yeah, and I truly I think Jackson deserves a baseball team that, you know, in some way deserves uh, something up in that stadium and whether it's independent league or not. I mean, I always thought independent league made the most sense just because it's a little bit less games. You don't have to, you know, have as much, you know, you're not trying to sell out as many games and it helps kind of just a little bit easier to manage than a minor league team. There's not as much standard in terms of like, you have to put this kind of thing up and there's not as like this overarching, like we need to have the nicest clubhouse, nicest this because it's independent league. And so I always thought that would work the best. I just hope they can get there someday. I just, you know, I, from an outsider now, I'd be concerned that the ownership that is there doesn't want anything that doesn't involve them. They're trying to tank as well. Uh.
All right, so we thank Adam for coming on the show. He's definitely welcome back once uh, Jackson starts to have more movement on their end. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely informative. There's a lot there that I didn't realize was happening behind the scenes that, you know, clearly this has been an issue that's been going on for quite some time and that this ownership group is, uh, well, they're kind of uh, they're kind of the issue here. Yeah, they're certainly the issue. Um, and I really do understand from the city's point of view, how they kind of felt cheated by this ownership group, felt that they were taking advantage, taking all that under the table money. I believe he said three and a half million dollars. Oh my goodness. Then that's the thing about before the interview that, um, so this really was a unique situation and just taking all that under the table money, three and a half million dollars for, um, especially it's not something you you normally see at least not something that 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 gets end up getting out there and getting public uh too often the way the way in this case and i totally understand the city uh feeling this way and it's one thing if this ownership group said that maybe the city likes maybe they don't like whatever and say hey we have a permanent solution because to be honest with you i feel like a city if they had a good plan in place for an indie ball team to be there alone not talking about a team like Winnipeg coming in for a year. I, I feel like the city wouldn't wouldn't mind it so much. However, what incentive does the city have to help out this ownership group that they don't have a great relationship with? And quite frankly, for a good for for a pretty good reason, um, there's no incentive to one help them out. Two for a uh, like why are, why are the taxpayers forced to? Um, continue to reimburse this team and this ownership group that is not uh, that that is not really doing much work in the community. They're not uh, they're not doing a whole lot to help Jackson in general. See, so, yeah, I I just don't see the incentive to help them out with what is essentially a band aid fix with Winnipeg. Not to say that Winnipeg. Uh, I mean, Winnipeg's not in a good situation themselves. They're trying to look for a, a place to play. But I do also understand from uh, from the city's point of view that they already don't have a great relationship. Uh, the the lease seems pretty clear in my view. Uh, it see, I, I think we're all in pretty much agreement about that. But I, I just don't see how. Um, I just don't, I just don't see the incentive for um for jackson to help out uh to help out the baseball team it's it, given their their bad history and i i just hope there isn't some sort of um a problem solved here with the, with the new with a potential uh new ownership group which could be coming along the lines uh i guess we'll have to see but i, I really hope that's what happens because i think i think there is some potential in the market as, as you guys discussed in the interview yeah, no, I definitely think there is the potential there to be a successful independent league team. We talked to Frontier League execs, which, you know, again, reignites the whole will they, won't they continue to expand the question mark, which, I mean, again, I think it, the next couple of years will determine that. I don't think we're seeing anything in the immediate future there. But I I will say the market does seem like it can be successful. I got to be honest, I think ownership's really to blame for the situation. And I really don't know what's going to happen with Winnipeg. I mean, I think I said it last week, and I asked about it a little bit. I really do think that the Gold Eyes may just wind up signing a lease with the city to stay there for the year. Because when push comes to shove, your choices are having an empty ballpark or a ballpark with a team in it. You want the one with the team in it. 
And it's very possible that you just say, look, the lease you have with them is worthless because they cannot rent out the stadium. We can rent it up to you and we'll cut right. a similar deal and that will work out. And I could see that being the case here. But yeah, with, all the, yeah, with all the shenanigans that were going on behind the scenes, uh, I could very well see why they want no part of this ownership group. I mean, millions of dollars were going right down the tubes for years. And I mean, like you, you can't be doing that and expect to still, you know, get your way with the city, especially when they have to bring in outside people to do investigative work into the matter. And I, like you were saying, Jackson's not that big of a market in the sense of it's a small city. It doesn't really have the resources to be able to, you know, keep a baseball team afloat when roads aren't being paved, schools aren't being, you know, built, and things of, you know, greater societal value are being neglected. So at the end of the day, uh, the baseball team is going to wind up losing out, especially when an ownership group really isn't doing too much to reach out and become part of the community. I mean, like I said in the interview, it's vaguely reminiscent of Staten Island in a way that you have an ownership group that comes in and just kind of ignores the community and tries to turn a profit on it. And obviously it didn't work out here. And, you know, it's unfortunate that the people in Jackson are going to suffer because of it in the sense that they're not going to have a baseball team for, you know, at least a couple of years. But, I mean, hopefully it works out for this year where, you know, Winnipeg's able to play. Hopefully they get a deal with the city and hopefully they're able to get a more stable ownership group in to have a baseball team there. But uh, who really knows how that winds up working out, right? The the, the Winnipeg Gold Eyes striking a deal with the city and not so much with with the owners of of Jackson because the, of, of the baseball team because they they don't really have a lease at this point they don't really have a right now can the can the city of Jackson I mean certainly the Winnipeg Gold Eyes ownership group is very very good so they and not not to say that they're going to completely turn around. Uh, baseball in, in Jackson, Tennessee for a year because I, I don't think that's realistic. But uh, I, I do see uh, maybe they strike a deal because they are in a desperate situation in that case scenario because I don't think that the city and this ownership group are really going to strike a deal here uh, and we're running out of time. This is not something that can be negotiated over a few months. We are We are very, very close to the start of the American Association season and this needs to be resolved now. Oh yeah, absolutely. They they need to figure it out quickly, otherwise they're going to be in a bad position very soon. So uh, with that said, again, thanks to Anna for coming on the show. We appreciate it. And with that, we'll jump right into the previews now because I believe for now we're probably like 45 minutes in already and uh, we still have yet to actually start talking the previews and we need to get on that right now. So uh, I guess with that, we'll just kind of jump headlong into talking about the 2021 American Association season. Uh, quick basic overview before we get into actual team previews. We got a 100-game season that will start on May 18th, so you could very well be listening to this during the season. And it will run through September the 9th. Two-round playoffs, best of five. Uh, they will run from roughly the 8th of September to as late as the 20th of September. Top two teams from each division make the postseason. There's 11 full-time members, and the Houston Apollos were added as a traveling team for this season. They're primarily comprised of the Pecos League All-Stars. Uh, I'm going to be honest. 
while on the Instagram page, we're still doing like team previews and things like that, and you will get one for the Houston Apollos. We don't really have that done yet. And uh, just a quick overview of the roster. There's not too many names that are familiar. So we will talk about them, but we won't really talk about them in much depth. And also, I mean, they're a traveling team, so I think the expectations for them are quite low, to be honest. Uh, so we have two 12-team divisions. You have the North Division comprised of Chicago, Fargo-Moorhead, Gary South Shore, Kane County, Milwaukee, and Winnipeg. Then in the South Division, you have Cleburne, Houston, as the Apollos, uh, Kansas City, Lincoln, Sioux City, and Sioux Falls. No All-Star game this year, at least as of this moment, due to COVID-19. All 600 games will be streamed on AABaseball.tv. It's a paid service. I believe it's still 20 for the year, but I do not know for certain. King County is out, or King County is in. They come in from affiliated ball. St. Paul goes out because they went to AAA. The motto for the year is we play to win. Obviously, trying to really emphasize that our games matter. We're not a development league. We are a professional league. We play to win games, hence we play to win. Uh, and then in the 2020 overview, just in case you weren't paying attention to last year, which really means you just weren't listening to the show last year, which is fine, I guess. Adam Brett Walker was named Player of the Year, which kind of is a de facto indie ball player of the year in a sense. Milwaukee won a championship. It was a 60-game season with a seven-game playoff, but it only took five to end it. And uh, yeah, that's about all the real highlights. Oh yeah, and Peyton Gray shot out the lights and now he's in double-A, and I don't know how he's doing in double-A. I assume he's doing well, though. Yeah, that Peyton Gray was was just incredible. Uh, and it, it was, to me, like one, one of the big stories, really just that Milwaukee back half of the bullpen. And let me tell you, when we um, when we get into our Milwaukee preview, that again, well, we kind of also did. Uh, we kind of we kind of did talk about them a little bit. Uh, as far as Peyton Gray, uh, how he's doing in Double A, uh, <clears throat> two appearances so far. He's given up three earned runs in two innings. So early on, uh, not not a great start early on. Yeah, so I guess with that, we can just kind of start with Chicago, and we'll work our way down. So this is the North Division. Uh, in 2020, Chicago finished 26-32, and 32, at last place in the league. They bring Butch Hapson back for his fourth season, and I really have a handful of key players here. Michael Bowden is probably the most important pitcher they have. Jeff Kinney's not bad either. The two guys that I'm really uh, interested in seeing how they do are Danny Mars and Brennan Metzinger. Originally, when I put the whole preview together, Joey Tertoslavich was still on this team, but now I believe he just got signed to Mexico. So, not quite uh, not quite there anymore, and that will certainly also hamper them. Overall, when you look at this team, I gotta be honest, I don't really see much of a... Uh, well, much to really write home about. Uh, Pitching-wise, at best, I see them being painfully average, and at worst, just not a particularly good team. They have a handful of guys, like I said, Bowen... Uh, Bowden is one of them. Connor Gray, he pitched, you know, his ERA and his numbers are a bit not as good, I want to say, because he did have time in Reno in the PCL, so that's definitely going to hurt his numbers uh, playing out there. That uh, There's some other guys, Jeff Kinley, like I said, uh, he, he also was a PCL guy, so that's going to affect his numbers too, but even still, there's a lot of guys here that 
I just I don't see much on the pitching side of things and offensively, especially now that Turdislav just gone, you're really kind of banking on Casey Hobson, you know, really slugging yeah. the ball. That's really what he does. And then Danny Mars, you know, playing well again. His numbers are really good. Metzinger in the past has been very good, so hopefully he returns the form there. Michael Krause isn't bad. Uh, but overall, there's just really, at least in my mind, there isn't much to write home about Chicago. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that the Dogs, last year at least, they had a very, um, they, they had a, a big name slash Atlantic League heavy uh, roster that really disappointed. I mean, I had the Dogs winning last year preseason, uh, and, the, and that just didn't happen. I mean, Tardasso, ter, then losing him, is it, it, it's going to be tough for a lineup that doesn't have a ton of depth to begin with. I'm a big, big fan of Michael Krause. Uh, he 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 was really good in his uh, in his stint with with the Dogs last season. But I think you you look at you look at the rest of the team. I like Metzger as well. He gets on base. Uh, he gets on base at a really good clip of 385, and that's very impressive given the fact he's he was a 252 hitter uh, with Fargo Moorhead in 2020. And get his batting average up to around 270, 270 280. That's a four, a potential 400 on base guy, which are very, very valuable. You'd think Metzger would be, be near the top of that order, but their X factor, you mentioned him, Nick. Casey Hobson has to improve. He has to be significantly better than what he was last year. He was a big disappointment uh, last year. We know he's not going to hit for a high average. No one's expecting him to, uh, but, but unfortunately, he just. Uh, he, he struggled a lot last year. He's got to have a bounce back year, or I think the Chicago team is in trouble. As far as the rotation, I'm a huge, huge fan of Michael Bowden. Uh, he pitched a little bit with high point in 2019 and was absolutely lights out. He was just lights out uh, with them. So I think that, uh, of course, with a 293 ERA and a ton of strikeouts, 53 strikeouts in 43 innings, compared to only eight walks. So he he, only, he, he averaged less than a walk per start, which is it, it really, really impressive from him. So he's going to be the ace. I think he's going to be one of the better pitchers in the league. I would, I would honestly not even be surprised if, uh, he was in the running for American Association Pitcher of the Year by the end of the year. So I'm a big fan of him, but depth in this rotation, it, it lacks. I think Connor Gray could be pretty good. Uh, you mentioned the, the the PCL, of course, with, with Reno also. I mean, that that's a tough place to pitch. I mean, you look at the rest of the – I mean, Jonathan Crawford in high A was his last stop. He struggled. Alberg uh, struggled also. With Chicago in 2020, you don't. I don't see. I mean, giving up 85 hits and 58 and two thirds innings doesn't show a whole lot of uh, potential uh, potential bounce back. Uh, not a ton of uh, potential bounce back with him at the moment. So I think their bullpen has a couple of decent options. I really like Kinley as well. He pitched with Somerset a little bit. It was a really good lefty arm. But I, I agree with most of your assessment. I think that. It's a team that I think is probably primed to disappoint. Now we've seen Chicago uh, in, in past years. They they're one of those teams who who doesn't mind shaking up the roster mid-season, bringing in guys uh, who get cut from affiliated ball, uh, some potential big names as well. That could certainly help this team. The entire theme with this team is they lack depth, uh, and I think you, you're relying on a lot of bounce backs. And it, there's so much if this happens, if that happens. So many things have to go right for them to compete 
with Milwaukee, I just don't see it happening in the North Division. Yeah, no, I just I think the North Division is just too competitive. And on that note, we'll go to the next team up, which is Fargo Moorhead. The Red Hawks, they finished fifth last season with a record of 28 and 32. Chris Costi will remove the interim tag and enter his second season, but this time as the full-time manager, as the permanent manager, and looks to bring back a championship to Fargo-Moorhead for the first time since 2010. And I gotta be honest, I'm really high on this team. I really, really like this team. Guys like Tyler Pike, Ryan Williams was there, but now I don't see him on the roster anymore, so I'm not sure what the deal is with that. Uh, Brett Helton, Brett Jones, these are two other, or Brent Jones and Brett Helton are two guys where I'm really high on. I really like these guys a lot. Uh, Carell Prime's another guy I'm really high on. Dylan Tice and Dylan Kelly both are another two really nice set there. Manuel Boskins, a guy who batted 277 and he slugged 428 when uh, he played in 2019 with Milwaukee. And I mean, he had an on base uh, and slugging of 803, so not a bad player at all. They add John Silviano too, who last year hit 14 home runs with St. Paul. Uh, he's That's definitely some good power numbers from him. Granted, he does strike out a lot about a third of the time, but even still, and with power hitters, that's going to come with the territory. Leobaldo Pena is another dude I really like. He can hit. He's not like a, a lethal hitter by any stretch of the imagination, but he is certainly a, a valuable bat. 275, 316, 377, six home runs. Only strikes out about 20%. Uh, so not a terrible player. Plus, he's a very good in the field. Uh... Then I will say this much too. Dylan Kelly is another guy that really, really anything's going to come through for them. Five home runs, uh, 12.8% of the time he was a strikeout, but he batted 336 and he had an, an OPS of 853. So just from the lineup perspective, before I even talk about pitching, really, really like it. Plus, they arguably have the three best hitting catchers in the league depending on how much you value Kevin Krause. And I have Kevin Krause in left field for that matter, and Dylan Kelly DHing, and then Boss Camp behind the plate. Really, you can move him around just about wherever you want, but there's that. The bullpen's really deep, too. Guys like Flores are, you know, they are what they are, but Helton had an ERA below four in about 40 innings. Michael Hope's another dude who in about 31 games had an ERA of under 3.5. Brett Jones, the guy with an ERA under 3 in about 25 innings. Cam Hatch is another dude that, granted, he played in the Pacific Association, so touch and go on those numbers there, and that was in 2018, but he looked very good there, so I think he can very well have an ERA around 4, maybe a little bit higher, and eat a handful of innings when you need him to. Uh, the rotation, the back half, makes me a little skittish, I will say. But honestly, especially with Williams not being there anymore. But Tyler Pike's a guy I think can definitely lead the staff. He proved that last year. A solid ERA for a team that really was pretty miserable for most of the year. Kevin McGowan, maybe he bounces back. He's a guy that, you know, when we talked about doing our Indie Ball Hall of Fame, he's a dude that's one of those first ballot type guys. Um... Austin Versteeg, he only played NCAA, I believe Division II ball. So who really knows what he's going to do? Granted, he had a great ERA there. I mean, 44 and two-thirds innings and an ERA of 1.43 is elite. But even still, I don't know how he translates to pro ball. So 
yeah, just my general overview trying to get everything jammed in there is I really like this lineup. I think it's a really deep from a batting perspective. I think fielding wise, they'll be fine. And I really do like the pitching staff top to bottom. If Ryan Williams was still here, I would be saying that he is absolutely 110% the, uh, he's a number one or number two guy. And I picked them as one of the two playoff spots immediately. I will say even without him though, I really, really like this team. Yeah, Fargo Moorhead was almost one of the biggest victims of the 60-game season last year uh, just because they started so slow and they just they absolutely caught fire towards the end of the season. If the season was 70 to 75 games, could we have possibly been talking about a playoff team? We might we sure might have. Uh, yeah. I mean the fact that that they were able to finish 28 and 32 last season it was kind of incredible uh, considering how bad they were for most of the season. But I'm with you on a lot of your projections. I, I think the li- I think they're going to score runs. Uh, I, I don't think there's really too much doubt about that. I mean, uh, Corral Prime is really one of the league's best hitters, uh, one of the league's best contact hitters. Uh, specifically, Dylan Kelly had a great year last year also um, in, in the DH role and. I can't. I don't see why that uh, wouldn't change. And, and also, um, Fargo Moorhead being able to bring in a guy like John Silviano uh, to play uh, to play first base, I think, could help them a lot. He is a big. He is a very big strikeout guy, but also a very very big power threat. So uh, maybe maybe in a, in a longer in a longer sample size, maybe he gets that average up. I mean, with those guys, you're honestly looking for that. If they can get to that 250 mark, you can live with it. Uh, but I, I think that I think this lineup is very good. I think they're going to hit. Uh, Kevin Kraus is a really interesting guy you mentioned as well. Uh, was one was one of the Can-Am League's uh, better hitters in that during that 2018 year uh, with Rockland. So we'll see we'll see how that translates as far as far as the rotation. If Ryan Williams isn't there, that definitely does hurt it. Uh, then I worry about about the rotation a little bit. Uh, you're not going to find a bigger, uh, a much bigger Tyler Pike fan uh, than myself. He's a huge strikeout guy. Uh, occasionally, uh, his control uh, slips a little bit. You've seen that. Uh, you, I've seen that in a couple starts of his that I watched last year. That occasionally uh, he loses he loses control of the strike zone a little bit. You know, he, he has been able to get out of jams uh, because he strikes out so many guys, doesn't give up a ton of hard contact. Uh, so Pike is a guy, especially uh, left, from the left side. I love I love his uh, I love his curveball. Uh, he's a guy that I really think should be uh, in affiliated ball, uh, to be honest with you. He's, he was one of my favorite pitchers to watch in the Atlantic League last year. Excuse me, the American Association last year. Uh, and, and Kevin McGowan's a guy I think that uh, – I could see also bouncing back. Um, you know, he definitely had a, a, a disappointing year last year in 2020, but we, we know his track record. We know what he can do. Uh, and the bullpen, I think, is really strong. I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, I think that the, the bullpen is strong with uh, with, with Brett Hunt. You probably think he's um, either him or, um, or, or Michael Hope would be the guy to probably close to start the year. Or, yeah. or um or even or even Brent or even Brent Jones, I think there's at least the back half of that bullpen. I think is really strong. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about de- uh, about depth in the bullpen. I think you could say that for most American Association teams, though, and that's something that 
changes a lot throughout the year. Your middle relievers uh, in, in any league, not just the American Association, they change really throughout the year. So uh, I think this is I think this is a very strong team. I I guess I'm a little bit lower on their pitching than I guess you might be, Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we both agree they're going to hit, and I think they're going to be in the mix for a playoff spot. I, I, hes- I hesitate to call them like a slam-dunk playoff team, but I do think they will certainly be in that conversation near the end, uh, come, come September. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think, uh, I think like for a lot of these teams, and we'll kind of go through this at the very end, but I think for a lot of these teams, you can kind of separate them into like three kind of groupings where you have some teams that are going to be playoff teams. Like I think there's really three teams right now that, I feel confident in saying we're going to see them playing postseason baseball. Then there's another group of teams where it's like, okay, they're definitely in the mix for a playoff spot. If one thing goes wrong for one of the groups, like A group teams, these guys could very well take a playoff spot or sneak into that last spot. And then there's teams that are just like possums. You know, they're going to play dead at home and get killed on the road. That's just what they're going to be doing. And they're just not particularly good teams. So I, I think Fargo Moorhead's kind of at the top of that B group, maybe the bottom of that A group. I could see, if they had Ryan Williams still, I'd feel confident saying they're a playoff team. But without him, I'd, I don't know. Uh, that said, I do want to go into a gr- another team here, which I think, unfortunately, is like that poor possum, and that is Gary Southshore. Oh, yeah. I really am hard-pressed to find much here. Like, Billy Cook's cool. Um, you know, 277 batting average. He strikes out about 27% of the time. He had a couple of home runs. He played in just about every level of baseball in 2019. Triple A, high A, just A ball, low A ball. Uh, Cam Comer's decent-ish. He's a USPBL guy. Um, Lamar Briggs is another dude, USPBL guy. He looks kind of decent. There really isn't much offensively there, like, Jesse Wilkening is a dude that could be of note here, but I mean, he played New York Penn League ball and he played in the Arizona Rookie League. So, I mean, like, and that was in 2018. So, who's really to say there? Pitching wise, it really is kind of barren. Trevor Lubking is really the dude I look at. Maybe Mark Sailing has a bounce back year and that gives you two stars to run with. But outside of that, I really don't see too much there. Tasker Strobel is a guy I have faith in. I think he could do well. I was a lot higher of him in the Frontier League as opposed to the American Association, but still, you know, maybe he's a big guy. Um, he doesn't really have much to go off of, but he strikes guys out a lot. He doesn't really walk that many guys. Milky Mena is a dude that could be of note. Um, yeah, there really, there really isn't much here. I, I got to be honest. I don't really see a, a competitive team, especially in the North Division here. Yeah, I think I think Gary South Shore to me, I think they're very clearly the uh, the 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 team that I expect to be in the basement come, come towards the end of the year. There's so much talent in this division, and I, I just don't know if Gary can keep up. I, I think you have a lot of guys who are not really experienced at playing at this kind of level, and uh, and sometimes that leads to surprises. I think of an, an Atlantic League example. I think of High Point in 2019. You had a lot of guys. Uh, well, Jamie Keefe, he had a ton of success in the in the Can-Am League, brought in a lot of those guys who have had success in the Can-Am League, American Association, Frontier League, and they all performed, and they all clicked, uh, and they got them to the playoffs. I, I don't really see that 
uh, with, with Gary. Um, I, I think there's just not uh, not a lot of experience playing at this level, uh, and I worry and I worry about that. A guy a guy I like and I think I got to watch out for is Phil Ca- is Phil Caulfield. Um, he didn't play a ton. He didn't play a ton with Gary uh, in, in 2019. However, um, however, in the times that he was there, which was just 16 games. Got on base at a 390 clip, hit two home runs as well. A, a OPS of 839. I think he's going to be one of their better hitters, uh, as well as as well as Billy Cook. I think I think you you were correct in your assumption there. I think those are going to be their two their uh, their two best hitters coming into the year. But it's a lineup that I mean, when when you just have two guys that are really capable uh, of trying to get on uh, of getting on base. It's easy to work around, especially in a league in a in a division with so many good pitchers, uh, especially a team like Milwaukee. I just don't see it. Their starting rotation, I, I, I think there's again the same problem I have with the lineup. There's not a lot of guys uh, that have a ton of experience at this level, and even even a guy that uh, I think we both expect to be probably their number one guy, which is Trevor Lugkin. Even he struggled a little bit with, with Gary in in 2019, a 4.53 ERA in 139 innings. If I mean if that's if you're expecting him to be uh, your ace, you're definitely going to need better numbers with than that if you're going to go anywhere. So I, I think I think in general, it, it's pretty clear that Gary is uh, going to struggle this year. Going to be near the bottom of that of that North Division. I just think you have too much inexperience that are not used to playing at the level uh, at, at like an American association type level. And I think they're going to struggle because of it. Yeah. I, I just don't really see them being uh, all too competitive this year. Uh, moving on, we have the newest American association team in the Kane County Cougars. And I will say, I really didn't know what to expect going into this preview, but there are some players here. Mitch Reeves is a dude that I'm very interested in. You know, he, he hits for a little bit of power, you know, 404 slugging. He strikes out, uh, you know, a fair bit, about 24% of the time. A guy like uh, Nick Zamarella is a dude where I'm also interested to see if he could lower the strikeout number and just bump his average up a little bit. Like, I'm not saying he has to hit, like, 260, but if he could go from, like, the 231 he's at to, like, say, 250 and keep the the home run number about the same, you know, like 9, 10, 11 home runs. I think it could be a very productive uh, third baseman for them. Uh, Baez is another dude. Jeffrey Baez is a guy where I'm interested to see here. He had 15 home runs. He struck out roughly a third of the time. And he had an, an OPS of 730. So I think, again, if he could boost his his batting average up again and be, just become a little bit more consistent, I would really like him a lot too. I will say losing Sherman Johnson really hurts for the Cougars. He was a guy where I really... I, I kind of expected him to do a lot of heavy lifting. Plus side, they do have a veteran spot. And George Samus knows how to build a roster and get guys in. So hopefully they'll be able to use that spot to plug the hole. Plus he brought Josh Allen in from uh, St. Paul. And Josh Allen just, he bats amazing. He strikes out less than 70% of the time. The slash line is 304, 400, 475, OPS, 875, six home runs. That was just in 44 games last year. So the guy can hit. Pitching-wise, Vance Worley's always good, former major leaguer. And yeah, his numbers weren't great, but he only threw about 17 innings. And he, again, was in the PCL. So, you know, not exactly the best uh, for pitchers there. 
Uh, Jake Coatsart could be very cool. Tyler Vizza could be very cool. I could see those two guys working out. Uh, Scott Harkins, another dude, he pitched in, I believe it was LMB uh, in 2019, and he did very well there too. So, I mean, that could be a very good rotation. I'm certainly not ruling it out. Their bullpen seems very thin to me, though. Josh Toll seems like the only guy I can reliably say is going to be a solid option out of the pen. So that does concern me. All in all, I think they're a solid, like, kind of B-group team where it's like, I wouldn't be shocked to see them in the postseason. I also wouldn't be shocked to see them on the outside. I think they'll be competitive into late August. I'm not sure if they're able to pull it off. But I could definitely see them killing off a couple other teams' playoff hopes. I could I could definitely see that. So how I view Kane County is I just they're the one team in my view that I don't know what to expect from them. I, mm. I don't there there's so many different ways the season can go for them. Uh, you have a lot of guys who you see what you see the intrigue. You see why why George uh, why George Samus wanted wanted them on the team. Uh, a lot of guys with um with some pretty significant affiliated experience. I think that helps. Of course, it's not easy to build a team uh, essentially from scratch the way Sam has had to. But I think he did a pretty good job. Uh, the lineup, I think Jeff- Jeffrey Baez is a guy I really like. I think a transition from AA to the American Association is really going to help him, perhaps facing a little bit less velocity uh, than he's used to facing the double A could help bring that strikeout rate down. And I think the power will stick. I think he's this team's best hitter. And, and, and you mentioned him bringing in a guy like Josh Allen, a big bat in this lineup. They're going to need him to perform because uh, the rest of the lineup, I worry a little bit uh, about their ability to score runs, but I think uh, having a guy like Josh Allen is a big run producer, a guy who could maybe drive in 85 to 90 runs in a hundred, in a 100 games uh, in, in a hundred game season. Or maybe not eighty-five. Maybe not eighty-five. Maybe probably more around, uh, more, more around seventy. I think that could uh, that could help a lot. Um, and this rotation, I'm really high on it. I think this rotation is going to be really good. And starting with Vance Worley, he's a he's, uh, he's by far the biggest name on this team. Uh, and I almost think he hasn't pitched him. He hasn't pitched since 2018. The stats don't look good. He had injury. He had uh, he had injury problems. Uh, as and he was signed to play with Somerset Patriots in 2020. We know how they can. De- we know they're very good at signing pitching. We know they they like to develop pitchers. They hit on an, a, a, almost all of these starters that 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 they bring in at the beginning of the year. You think of even guys that came over from the Frontier League and the uh, and the uh, Frontier League American Association. They they help guys like Liam O'Sullivan, Thomas Dormany really take their careers to the next level. I trust their ability to bring in pitching. So when I see a guy like Vance Worley, I don't see a ton of numbers as far as how to project. But if a team like Somerset was looking to bring him in, I think that's I, I think that's a good sign. I think I think Samus is a really smart guy as well. I think Worley's going to be really good uh, uh, with them. And I am a huge, huge fan of Scott Harkin. I think he will he's going to be one of the league's better pitchers as well. Uh, Mexico is a very, very tough league to pitch in. Uh, the atmosphere is is, uh, is tough. The ball flies. Uh, and, and if you could be a good starting pitcher in Mexico, I mean, usually that translates to a very, very good uh Atlantic League or American Association pitcher. I think Worley and Scott Harkin make as, as good of a one-two as I think you'll see across the American Association. I think they're that good. Uh, and Jake Cozart's a guy um, that I think could be 
uh, very good as well. He's a guy that has been in a starting and a relief role. Usually those kind of guys that come from the minor leagues are more, mostly in a starting role. Uh, but So I really like this starting rotation in general. I do. I think that could change with some contracts being purchased and whatnot. Uh, I think you could definitely that with a guy like Vance Worley, who has as big of a name as he has, uh, and, and maybe a guy like Scott Harkin as well. That, that could potentially change some things. I, I worry about the bullpen as well. I, I don't think there's a ton of depth there. But Kane County, I don't, I don't really know what to expect from them as far as wins and losses. But I think their pitching will keep them in a lot of games. I think they're going to be competitive with the league's top teams. Will that translate to a playoff appearance? I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I'm not 100 percent sure um, about that. I think they will certainly be in that, uh, be in that mix all the way to the end of the season, but I think they're going to pitch. Their pitch is going to keep them in games. Can they score enough runs will be the question. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on to Winnipeg now. We have a team in Winnipeg that I don't know if I want to, like they're definitely the B-tier team. Like I want to put that out there. Guys like Kyle Martin are back. 16 home runs in 16 or in 60 games are is pretty impressive. And especially when you have an OPS of over 900, it's certainly very good. A guy like Raul Navarro, who uh, he has a lot of double A experience, a little bit of triple A. He played in the Pacific Association in 2019. So that's why his numbers on our preview document here is uh, a bit skewed. But guys like Tyler and Logan Hill, I really do like them. I think they really are primed for, you know, some really solid seasons. Same thing with Jay Gonzalez. He did very well with New Jersey in 2019. I think he could take that step. Maybe not be batting around 300 like he was, but I certainly could see him batting around 260. I think that would definitely be a useful center fielder, especially with his uh, fielding ability there. Max Murphy, I'm not thrilled having him as a DH. I don't think he's as good of a batter as you'd like to see there, but they are a little bit thin there. Uh, I do like the pitching staff, the bullpen especially. I really, 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 really like the bullpen. Nate Antum was very good in his 22 appearances last year, ERA under four. Kent Frosch, another dude, 46 appearances in a 60-game season with St. Paul, and he managed to have a 2.87 ERA, struck out 40, only walked 12, gave up only 36 hits in 37 and two-thirds innings, which normally I go, oh, he's going about a hit an appearance or a hit an inning, but I look at it like this. He was called on for all but 14 games last year, and as a reliever, that's an awful lot. So that's incredible. I know. Like really the fact that those numbers are as good as they are is really impressive. Joey Gonzalez is another dude. He in about 28 appearances across various a levels. Uh, he threw just over 60 innings. He had a 3.58 ERA. Uh, Jose Jose again, you know, Jose squared is always a, an elite pitcher. And again, I still kind of wonder why he's not affiliated ball, but he's not. So he has an ERA about two, in about 22 innings, and uh, he struck out over 25 in that time, and only walked one guy. In fact, he only really allowed three ba- or 13 base runners, if I'm right, in about 22 innings. So I really am in love with this bullpen. I will say this much though: the rotation leaves something to be desired. Kyle Thomas really isn't a starter. Justin Watlin really doesn't have much experience at a higher level of being a starter. Christian James, I mean, he he played in the South Atlantic League in 2019. And he did not great, admittedly, with Columbia. So I'm a bit 
kind of cautious about that. Uh, Mitch Lampson, I think will be fine. He had a 4.82 ERA last year. I think he'll come back down from that. A lot of that's because, well, the whole team wasn't doing well like the last six weeks of the season. Eduardo Reyes was a guy that we actually mentioned in our interview with uh, with Billy Pickney. And he is a very good pitcher. I He did well in 2019. He did well in 2020 in the All-American Baseball Classic. I mean, you could take those pitcher numbers for what they're worth there. But... All in all, I, I really do like the pitching staff. I think that they're certainly a contender for that last uh, playoff spot in the North. Yeah, so Winnipeg was a team that I, I think really was really disappointing. Uh, it w- was really disappointing last year just because they started so well. And I mean, there's no other way to put it. They collapsed down the stretch. So I, I think I think they're bringing back a very good t- that teams like uh, guys like Kyle Martin, uh, Tyler Hill, Logan Hill. Uh, both all, all three of those guys have shown that they can hit at the American Association level. So I think that um, I think those are going to be their big hitters in this lineup. I think Kevin Lachance is a guy uh, gets on base at a pretty high rate. You could see him near the top of the lineup. Um, so I think the lineup is solid. Uh, I think the rotation, Edward Reyes. He's been a guy who's been really jackals for, for some time now. Was I got a chance to watch him pitch a little bit uh, in the All American Baseball Challenge last year? A different uh, competition level there. Uh, however, I think Reyes is a guy who's shown he's able to pitch at this level. Mitch Lamson and and, and Mitch Lamson is a guy I know. If you look at the numbers from last year, they're a little bit deceiving. Four eighty two ERA in seventy four and two thirds innings. I. I think that's a little bit misleading. He's had a great track record of performance in the American Association, specifically 2019, even got a shot with Southern Maryland uh, at the end of the 2019 season. Listen, it was a weird year for everybody in 2020, pitchers specifically. I think a guy like Mitchell Lamson is going to be is going is in is in a great position for a big, big bounce back. I think he's going to be this team's ace. I think he's going to be um, really good. And a couple other interesting guys. I think Kyle Thomas. Uh, it's a big jump up from the New York Penn League, but he was very good there. To be honest, with you, I'm kind of surprised uh, he's not an affiliated ball, but I think he he has potential to be pretty good. Also in the Win- in the Winnipeg rotation, so I think it's a solid group. Uh, I think the bullpen uh, the bullpen is excellent. Uh, Jose Jose has been a guy who's, who's been around indie ball for a while. He's been really really good. Uh, Nate Anton uh, as well was Winnipeg's one of their better relievers last year. I, I would expect that again. Uh, Ken Frosch, uh, who is who we talked about plenty from, uh, from St. Paul, he's going to be a bulldog in the bullpen as well. I think it's a really, really strong bullpen. I think the rotation's pretty good as well. Uh, I think Winnipeg, and it's funny because we keep repeating this in the North Division, but this, I hope this shows you how good this division is. Uh, There's so many other good teams. I hesitate to say they're a slam dunk playoff team. If, you know, gun to my head, I had to pick a team to come in second place, uh, to, to come in second place in the North Division, Winnipeg would be my pick. However, uh, as Nick, I'm sure, remembers, and as any listeners who were listening during the uh, uh, the American Association summer last year, all the time I was uh, I was like, Winnipeg will pick it up. They're too talented. They'll pick it up. They'll pick it up. But then they never picked it up. So I keep I, I keep putting my faith in Winnipeg. We'll see if that I actually get rewarded this time, or if they uh, or if they make me look dumb again. I guess we'll have to see. But 
here I am again saying Winnipeg's going to be good. Let's see if they actually do it this time. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully they will. And uh, on that note, we go to the last team in the North Division. The Milwaukee Milkman, obviously reigning champions from last year, 34 and 26. Anthony Barone back for his second year. And they return a lot of the same guys and had a couple of new faces. Christian Correa will probably be behind the plate. Not a bad catcher at all. David Washington's back. Aaron Hill is back, although he will probably be uh, the starting second baseman out. Logan Trowbridge is back. Mason Davis is back. Tony Rosselli's a new face that he's going to be added in. Brett Vertigan's back. Mikey Reynolds is a huge addition. I really, really like Mikey Reynolds, too. 32 batter, seven home runs, doesn't strike out all that much. OPS of over 900 with St. Paul. He's a guy, he's essentially a, a utility knife in the field. And then you have, of course, Adam Brett Walker, 22 home runs in 57 games. Again, another OPS over 900. I like the, the lineup. There's not too much offense coming out of it here. It really is like David Washington, Adam Brett Walker, and uh, Mikey Reynolds, and possibly Brett Vertigan in this uh, offensive lineup. I will say I do think they'll get enough offense, uh, but pitching-wise, I think they're going to get bailed out plenty. David Holmberg, Ty Hensley, Matt Soltar, uh, I'm not even like I can live with Ryan Zimmerman as your number four starter. I think he's done enough in the past to justify a bounce back year. Seth Berard is a dude that's interesting. I'm not going to say he's going to be a reliable number five starter because he is coming from division two ball. I will say, though, he is a very interesting guy and I can see him being a very useful piece. And then the bullpen is just so amazing. I mean, Zach Hartman is like probably the long arm in the pen and he has a 3.89 ERA. If you really want to like think of traditional bullpen guys, your weakest link is Kowalczyk who had a 4.10 ERA and that's because he got used a lot and he had one or two really bad outings that skewed those numbers. But a guy like Nate Hadley's in who's very strong. Miles Smith, another very strong guy. Ryan Newell, another very strong guy. These are all guys with ERAs below two. I mean, Ryan Newell in particular, 36 innings pitch, 60 Ks, only 13 walks and 29 hits with the Miners in 2019. I really like this dude. I really like this team. It's a strong pitching team. It's a strong hitting team. All in all, this is a playoff team. Absolutely. Milwaukee is just stacked from top to bottom. The defending champions, they're bringing so much of that core back. Uh, and the story with Milwaukee last year is going to be very similar to the story with Milwaukee this year. Their bullpen is going to be awesome. Their rotation is going to be awesome. Can they score enough runs? Last year, the answer was yes. Of course, from a, because of a huge year from Adam Brett Walker. Is he going to do that again over 100 games? You know, I think he'll be good. I don't know if he'll be that good. Uh, I, I don't know if he's going to be uh, that good at putting up home. I mean, 22 home runs in 57 games. It's impossible to keep up that pace over 100 games. So they're going to need guys to pick it up. But I think there's room for improvement here. I think David Washington is a much better hitter than um, than his 733 OPS last year with Milwaukee would suggest. I think he's going to be much better in a full year. Uh, with them, I think Aaron Hill. Uh, he disappointed last year, but I think he. I think there's more in the tank for him. Uh, and even Brett Vertigan, he's a guy who's going to hit for a high average, get on base a lot, and play an excellent defensive center field. 
uh, or right field, excuse me, or wherever they decide to put him, uh, because him and Mikey Reynolds, there's a ton of speed in that outfield. Mikey Reynolds is a great addition to this team that has a lot of home run power, a lot of swing and miss. Mikey Reynolds is the perfect addition into that because he's not going to strike out a lot. He's going to get on base. He's he's more of that contact type of guy. Uh, so I think that maybe Mikey Reynolds won't hit for as much power as he did with St. Paul last year over a full year, but I like I like the addition of Reynolds a lot. I love Brett Vertigan. I think this lineup is going to improve from last year, even though Adam Brett Walker might not be hitting for a 930 OPS again or putting up home runs at a ridiculous pace, slugging 609. Like that, I don't I don't know if he can keep that up for uh, a full uh, 100 games. He might. But I, I think I think this lineup is going to be really good. The pitching rotation, Holmberg is excellent. Hensley is a guy that he's he was really really good in the USPBL. I think maybe of course I don't think he'll be dominant uh, in the American Association, but I think he could be a solid mid rotation arm. Matt Salter with with St. Paul, I think that he he is going to translate that to Milwaukee as well, and the bullpen. You've mentioned it. Even the, even though um, AJ Shugel got his contract picked up, this bullpen's not going to miss a beat. They're they're, they're not going to miss a beat, and uh, and they're going to be really good again. Miles Smith is is a terrific option at closer. I mean, Nate Hadley is, was really good in the lower minors. He'll be a good he'll be a good middle relief arm. Ryan Newell has been so good in the in, in the Can Am League. Uh, I, I don't see how that trend. That doesn't translate as well as Zach Hartman, like you mentioned as well. The bullpen is out of this world. The starting rotation is good. And I think the lineup could potentially uh, improve a little bit from last year as well. So I think Milwaukee, I, if I were to pick a, a champion uh, today, it would it would be Milwaukee's. Of course, games don't get played on paper. They don't get played on a Google Doc. They get played on the field. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but I think Milwaukee... Has, comes in as the favorite to repeat their title yep absolutely and we'll do a full preview and playoff prediction everything when we get to the end of this but uh, that will do it for the north division all right so now we can get going on the south division here this is a division that honestly i think is probably less crowded with talent but at the same time maybe more competitive if that makes sense or at least be more interesting to watch out I think they have two better teams in this division too. And the first of those two teams is probably the Kansas City Monarchs. They didn't play in 2020, but they're led by Joe Calfa Pietra, his fourth season in Kansas City. Obviously, they're coming off a bit of a rebrand. You know, now they are uh, the Monarchs as opposed to the T-Bones. Last won a championship in 2018. And this is a team that honestly is really stacked. They got guys like Brian Ellington, Adam McCreary, uh, Johnny Field, Jan Hernandez. These are some guys that most of those guys I mentioned uh, are former major league guys. Also, Nick Franklin in that department and Darnell Sweeney. Uh, they also have Will Kengor, Colin Willis, Gabriel Guerrero. Yes, he is a cousin of Vlad Guerrero. And uh, a couple other guys like Justin Schaefer. I think he also has major league time as well. And Brian Glowicki, too, all just to name a few. This is a lineup that really can just straight up hit, and whether it be for power or whether it be just in general getting on base, moving things along here. At least through my notes right now, I count one, two, three, four guys that are in the projected starting nine with an OPS 
over 800 and only one, two, three guys, four guys, my mistake, that have an OPS under 700 with really only one guy being really under 700. Everyone else is within a couple of points of it. So by and large, this is a team that I, I really do expect to rake. And uh, on top of that, pitching-wise, they look pretty decent. Their starters are probably their weak point in this team. There really isn't a great starter to be found there, but the bullpen is just so deep. Like I said, you go from Brian Ellington to Brian Glowicki to Kevin Lennick, who had a 3.93 ERA in about 35 innings, and that's across AAA and AA mainly. Uh, and then you also have guys like Adam McCreary, another major league talent guy, and then, of course, uh, indie ball mainstay Jameson McCrane, who, again, is one of the better closers and bullpen arms in independent league ball. So I really, I'm really hyped for this Kansas City team. I know we did a little bit of a preview with them earlier in the year, but this is a team I, I expect to see in the postseason to make some noise while there. Yeah, I think Kansas City, in my view, is the they're definitely the favorite at this point in the South Division. I would say um, we did. You, you mentioned we did have our have our preview uh, about them a little bit, a little bit uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a little over a month ago. But listen, this lineup it's it's the best lineup in the American Association. Uh, I mean, there 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 are certainly some other good lineups, but I, I don't think any of them top Kansas City. I mean, Will. I mean, Will Kenger is just. I mean, he absolutely raked in the Atlantic League in 2019. He raked in the Frontier League for years. I don't see why that wouldn't continue in the American Association. Uh, I mean, even a guy like Gabriel Guerrero, um, even in Triple A and Double A, he still slugged 401. So I know, I know he uh, he doesn't walk a whole lot, doesn't get on base. Uh, a ton, but he's got good power. Maybe he starts to get on base a little bit more uh, coming to the American Association. Even a guy like Johnny Field could be good. Uh, and Colin Willis, who is really one of the better, probably maybe arguably the best player on, on Gary South on Gary South Shore in 2019, now makes the move to Kansas City. Uh, he was a 300 hitter, OPS uh, an OPS of 935. Gets on base at a 4.29 clip. He's got power, and and even John Hernandez, who John Hernandez uh, was signed to go to Somerset last year, and he was a good player on the on the on the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. I mean, when you have a guy who hit eight, who has an over an 800 OPS in AAA, and then he becomes and then he comes down uh, to Indy Ball in the American Association. I mean, that is a scary, scary thing. Uh, for for opposing uh, for opposing pitchers and opposing rotations, so I think this lineup is nothing short of insane. Like seriously, like it, it's probably uh, one of the best lineup. I admit, probably is the best lineup in all of indie ball right now. Not just the American Association. That's how good it is. As far as the rotation, I definitely agree. I have some concerns about it. Um, Akeem Bostic is a guy I like. Uh, but I, I'm also, I think they need a better year from Dylan Baker, uh, than he had in 2020 with Milwaukee. Justin Schaefer is a guy who, uh, who did have some MLB time. I, I think I wouldn't be surprised that, uh, with consistent usage and, uh, of course being in the American association now that, uh, he, I could definitely see him improving a lot in the rotation and the bullpen, the bullpen has so many guys that you could see closing, and that just speaks to how good it is. Jamison McGrain, so good. Adam McCreary, uh, he's uh, literally a good reliever in AAA this past uh, this past season. 
And um, and of course, a guy like Brian Ellington, who's gonna his fastball is gonna get get up around ninety six to ninety eight miles an hour on a given basis. Uh, will he throw enough strikes? That's the question. Uh, that's that's been his problem his entire career. But I mean, this team is absolutely stacked from top to bottom, and they're definitely the favorite to come out of the South Division. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm really excited to see how this team does. But of course, the next team we have up is uh, certainly no slouch either. And I just actually, before I make that transition, I also want to point out Ramsey Romano is also another guy that low key is a decent hitter. I mean, he's, he's in about 273, a couple of home runs there too. And he could also be a nice little production piece at first base too. Like that is a really deep lineup when you think about it. But yeah, I, I'm excited to see that team. But with Clayburn being our next team up, they do give them a run for their money. Uh, didn't play in 2020 as well. Mike Jeffcoat comes in as the manager. They have yet to win a championship, so maybe uh, Jeffcoat can get it done here. And they are another team that really can hit the ball. They hit for power. They got a guy in John Nestor who's one of the better hitting catchers in the American Association. Grant Buck at first base isn't necessarily a power guy. He breaks the mold a little bit on that one, but he hit 280, so I mean, certainly not a not a bad player at all. Still had a nice OPS too as well. Alay Log was a guy who can hit extra base hits. I mean, he's in uh, Sioux Falls this past season. 321, 366, 451 with only four home runs. So that tells you he's an extra base hitter. Chase Simpson, he did get a couple games in in Milwaukee in 2020. However, he didn't really get more than, I think, like four or five in there. So using his 2019 numbers in Cleburne, a 20 home run man, only about 27% strikeout. So not bad at all in OPS over 900. It's obviously a solid one. Uh, Oswaldo Martinez is another dude of note. Uh, Noah Vaughn's a dude that, yeah, while he did play in one of those circuit leagues, the competition's going to be a bit lower. Certainly when you watch his like his tape and a little bit about him, he seems like a very solid hitter, a productive player. Hunter Clennon is certainly a guy that kind of flies under the radar. He's going to hit home runs. He's not going to hit for average. So it's going to be a give and a take, but he's certainly a productive player in that regard. And Ramon Hernandez is in a similar mold, only a slightly better guy at getting on base. Maybe not quite as good power-wise, but I think they're fairly comparable players. So I really do like the lineup to hit bombs, certainly. Uh, I think I like them a little bit better than Kansas City, just because the rotation, in my mind, is a lot better. Michael Marriott's um, probably better than just about anyone on the... Uh, on the Kansas City staff, and he's supported by Michael Gunn, another really solid starter. Proved that in 2019 with uh, Cleburne, 312 ERA. Logan Verrett, a guy that I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be familiar with from his time with the Mets and also with the Orioles too. Uh, he comes in here as well. He uh, he did decent in AA, so not exactly what you'd like to see from a former major leaguer having an ERA around four, but not terrible. I think he'll come in and do just fine. Uh, the back half of the rotation's a little bit iffier. Landon Holyfield's a dude, which I really like, but I really like him as a reliever, not as a starter. And Maverick Buffo or Buffo uh, never really has played much above high A ball, so who's to really say either way? But he does seem like uh, if he could get like the base runners under control, he'll be fine. I mean, he allowed, roughly speaking, 40 or so base runners. In his uh, 2019 season between uh, rookie ball and high A ball, and only 15 of them came across the score in a way that would be responsible for him. Uh, so if he could just keep the base runners under control, I'll feel more confident. But again, I like him a lot more in a bullpen role. 
but the bullpen as it is isn't bad brian Sacedo is a solid solid bullpen option uh, mason melitakis is a guy which while he does have a 783 era he did play in albuquerque so that's certainly gonna hurt him a lot and when he was in rochester his era was much much better it was much closer to high threes low fours so I do think he'll do better. Tyler Wilson's just a straight baller when you look at his numbers. A 1.71 ERA in 42 innings of work. Sure, he walks some guys, 17 walks in that time. And sure, he gets with some hits, 33. But he struck out 59. So he can certainly get the job done. Uh, there's some other guys in there. Nick Gardenwire, who had some major league time in 2018 with the Texas Rangers. And AAA time in uh, in uh, with the road. I forget where. I and Round Rock, I believe it was. Uh, so I do like him there. And Kyle Chavez is an interesting guy to watch too. So overall, I like their pitching staff better. While their lineup may be slightly worse, I do think they're on Kansas City's level. I would probably give them the ever slightest of edge just because they're slightly more well-rounded than uh, the Monarchs are. I mean, it's good. I like Kluber a lot. I disagree in the sense that I, I do think Kansas City is um, a pretty. I, I do think Kansas City is um, a clear, um, a clear number one in my view. I, I mean that is, I think Cleveland is definitely a playoff team, and if I were to, I, I think if you were to pick the the top two teams that were going to come out of the South, I think Kansas City and Cleveland are almost the slam dunk one and two. And I guess I'll start with the rotation here because that's undoubtedly the strength of this team. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Marriott. As uh, a guy who was in Sugarland uh, as well in 2019, he impressed there. Uh, Michael Gunn, Logan Verrett. I mean, these are guys who have, who who have really pitched at, at the highest levels. Michael Gunn's a guy who coming back uh, coming back to Cleburne was one of their uh, best arms from 2019. It's really good that they could get him back. Verrett is a, a, a big name, and I think I mean the rotation, of course. This is all subject to change, you know. If uh, if an affiliated team could come and raid uh, raid the team, I could certainly see a guy like Logan Verrett maybe not sticking around uh, for for the whole season. So I don't know. We'll have to see. Or maybe Mar- uh, Michael Marriott goes back to Mexico the same way he left Sugarland uh, in 2019. So I think that that's going to be the key for them as far as the rotation. I think you look at the lineup. I think the lineup is good as well. Uh, John Nestor. You, I think you put it perfectly, Nick, when you said that he is one of the better hitting, uh, probably one of the best hitting catchers in the American Association. Um, and Osvaldo Martinez is a guy, listen, he's a former big leaguer. Uh, he's getting up there in age, though. I, he's really, really struggled in New Britain. I'm not as high on him as other as others are. I don't, even, I don't know if a, a change to uh, the American Association is going to help him that much either. Uh, but I mean, if you look at the rest of the infield, though, I mean, Ale Lago was um, was had an awesome year uh, with Sioux Falls a year ago. So he's always going to be a high contact guy uh, that is probably going to be the top of, at the top of the lineup. Probably their leadoff guy coming into the year. Ramon Hernandez, another guy I'm I'm a big fan of too. Showed some really good power uh, in Double A. I wonder if that if that will carry over to the American Association and the, the bullpens. The bullpen's really strong too. Uh, I mean, Tyler Wilson's outstanding. I mean, he he is excellent uh, in the back end of that Cleaver and bullpen. I think uh, Brian, a guy like uh, Brian uh, Sacedo, uh, I think he 
he he's a guy that I think you could see step into the rotation uh, at at some points uh, at some point during the season as well. Uh, if a guy were to get picked up, I wouldn't be surprised to see him make some starts as well. So I think overall is a very very well rounded team. I think they're probably a notch below Kansas City. That's at least how I view it. But I think Cleburne's definitely a playoff team and. Hey, when you get in, when you get into a playoffs and you're, you're working in a five game series, who knows what could happen? So, and, and I think if and these teams are going to look different by the end of the season, but uh, looking forward to a, pot- a potential Kansas City Cleburne playoff series would would be awesome. I mean, seasons don't play out on paper, but looking ahead, that would be that would be a very very fun matchup if it were to go down like that. It absolutely would be, but we still do have the rest of the South Division to get to, and this is probably one of the more anticipated uh, previews to get to, which is the Lincoln Salt Dogs. Again, another team that didn't play last year, like most of the South Division, but they do have a new manager, and that is someone that's familiar to a lot of people. That would be Brett Jody. He looks to bring the first championship since 2009 back to Lincoln, Nebraska. And I gotta say, I look at this lineup, and I just go... This is like, and I, this is going to sound mean, but it's almost like a watered-down Somerset Patriots roster. Because this is your usual Patriot-type players, actually a lot of former Patriots, and guys like, uh, I believe Kinman was in Somerset for a little bit. I know Vidal was. I know for certain Puglise was. And there's a handful of other guys on this lineup that you see with some uh, Somerset experience in there. And I see a lot of... I see a pitcher-centric kind of lineup with some guys that really haven't played that many games to be able to say, oh, yeah, they're going to be producing at the numbers they have in the past. And there are about two or three guys where you look and go, yeah, they're going to be the sum total of the offense. And that, of course, would be David Vidal. I mean, he hit 313 in Mexico with 20 home runs. Uh, he's going to tear this league up. Uh, Kurt Smith's another guy. He's also probably another one you could chalk into the uh, Indie Ball Hall of Fame as well. A 288 with 14 home runs in 95 games in 19. A guy like Forrest Alday, only 32 games, but he has good numbers in that time. A guy like Justin Bird, good numbers last year, but only 19 games. A guy like Ed, uh, Edgar Corsino, another guy who has good numbers, but like 70 games. It's, that's really the case here. A guy like Josh Altman, I really want to be high on. He did well in the Sugarland series, but 23 games. So it's hard to say whether or not these numbers will continue throughout a whole year. So I can't put all that much stock into them. That said, the rotation looks pretty good. I mean, John Ritchie's good. Kinman seems pretty good as well. They seem like a good one-two punch at the top. Carson Lance, he's pitched in basically a ball, and he was a bit rocky there. I think he can kind of transition and be fine. I don't know for certain. Tyler Anderson, he's about a five ERA. He's a fine four or five guy. He can eat the innings you need him to eat. He made three starts and 30 appearances. I think he'll be fine as a starter, especially in like a five-hole. And Keon Bartlett's another guy that I really do like. I think he can make a transition. I think he'll be fine, and I could see him stealing the number three spot in the rotation. Uh, Because, I mean, he did have 85 strikeouts and 85 innings to 20 walks in that time. 
I think he can be fine. Like I said, he's pitched an indie ball before and looked fine there. The bullpen's really the strength of this team. Uh, Barbado, another Somerset guy, or at least what's going to be. Uh, James Puglisi is another guy, Somerset guy, of course. Jason Seaver's a guy that looks really good too. And then there's a couple other guys. But the pitching staff is definitely the strength, I would say. I think the lineup will be fine. I don't think they're going to be good enough to knock off one of the top two teams. I kind of almost may see them like uh, like a King County almost. Like they're almost the symmetry on it because they both have, you know, pretty well-respected managers in their first year with a new team. Neither team played last year. They're both constructed fairly similarly, at least in my mind. Like I said, I think I, I wouldn't be shocked if something were to happen to the top two and Lincoln were to be the team that kind of takes advantage of that. But I also don't really expect for them to be a postseason team. So I, I like Lincoln. Um, I don't know if I like them as much as Kansas City uh, or Cleburne because I think those those two seem like the top dogs. But I, I think this lineup, how I would describe it is I don't um, I don't really know what to expect from them, but I think they have a very high ceiling uh, that if they can take these great numbers and small sample sizes and um, and turn it into a 100-game sample – it could be really good. I now could I could I project that? I, I don't know. I, I I don't know if I can. I don't like if you look at a guy like Skylar Weber behind the plate. I, he's not much of an offensive threat. Uh, and Josh Altman. I mean, he he was so good in the Sugarland series, but I mean, every every one of those series in 2020 was really just a a small sample size fest. It's hard to draw off of, uh, but. He showed some. He showed a lot against some very, very good competition down there. So I, 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 he's a guy I'm very, very intrigued by. You mentioned David Vidal. He's going to. He is going to be one of the league's better hitters. I would put him in the in the top five as far as a potential player of the year hunt um, in, in the preseason. I think David Vidal is going to be their best hitter. I don't think it's going to be that close. I think even a guy like Ed, uh, Edgar Corsino, he, he's he really performed uh, with the Salem Red Sox in uh, in high A in 2019. I could I don't think he'll put up number I don't think he'll put up a 943 OPS again because uh, the American Association definitely is a step up from high A ball. But uh, at the same time, I, I think he'll be a solid hitter for them. And even a guy uh, like Kurt Smith, he's done it for a long time. I think he could. Um, I, I think he will continue to contribute there. So the lineup, I, I, you don't really know what to expect. However, uh, they, if they can put it all together, that is a dangerous group that could definitely sneak in. If, uh, if certain, whether it's part of Kansas city uh, or Cleburne gets raided by affiliated teams, whether guys get hurt, whether guys disappoint Lincoln could sneak in there. Lincoln is going to be a team that I think is going to be uh, in around. I, I think, I'd say they're probably a little bit better than a 500 team. I'd say they're probably around uh, in a hundred games. I'd say I'd project them around 55 and 45 uh, or around there, or may maybe a little bit less, but I, I think Lincoln's a good team. They're starting rotation. Uh, I'm not as high on it as, as, um, as others are. John Ritchie uh, had his struggles in the Atlantic league, certainly. Uh, and, um, they're going to, and Tyler Anderson, not, not as, not a huge fan. I think Keenan Bartlett will struggle. 
Uh, Carson Lance struggled in high A. I don't know if with a, in a talent bump up, he's going to be all that great. I like the bullpen, but Johnny Barbado, I think, is going to be very, very good. James Pugliese is going to be very good. Interested to see how Jason Seaver, uh, after being very good in the Frontier League, how he adjusts to the American Association. So I, I think it's a team overall that um, I would definitely have below Kansas City and Cleburne, but they are certainly in position to sneak up and be in it to the very end. Uh, so I, I think this is a winning ball club. I don't think having Brett Jody will help. Uh, Brett Jody is certainly good at midseason additions, so we'll see how how uh, that, how that pans out. But uh, Lincoln's going to be – they're going to be a team that – almost very similar to Kane County, you're right, in the sense that we don't really know what to expect from them, uh, but they they certainly have a high ceiling and where they can go if, if they could put it all together, but that's a big if. It certainly is, and we'll see how it goes uh, with that. We go now to the next team, and arguably one of the better teams, I think, in this division, and one which I could see, like, giving the top two teams uh, some fits in the Sioux City Explorers, Steve Montgomery comes back for his seventh season. Again, still looking for that first championship. And really, this is a lineup that's not, I don't want to say it's, you know, the same as Cleburne, because Cleburne's a better lineup. But they're not cut from the from a different cloth. They're, they're from the same cloth. Mitch Gelfie, another really strong hitting catcher. Only 30 games, but he put up an OPS of 719, so a solid, solid number there. Jared Walker's a power hitter. Uh, he didn't really show it as much last year in the Sugarland Circuit League. I mean, he struck out nearly 43% of the time, so that's certainly very high. But in past years, he's done much better. A guy like LT Tolbert, it's a guy which I'm very interested in watching. Uh, some double A experience, but a lot, of, a lot of single A experience there. But he hits home runs. He he hits some power, and he doesn't really strike out all that much. Jose Cermo is a guy that historically has done very well as an explorer. He didn't do so great in Milwaukee, but to be fair, no one really hit well in Milwaukee last year, with like two exceptions to that rule. Nate Sampson's back again, another really solid dude, and he really doesn't strike out. I mean, he has about a 7% strikeout rate, which is insanely low. Uh, Sebastian Zawad is another really strong guy. Michael Lang's another really strong guy as well. I mean, in 2019, he spent some time with St. Paul, but a lot of time with Sioux City, certainly, and 11 home runs was the result, as well as batting 277. Uh, Chase Harris is a guy that did very well in the Can-Am League. Um, he didn't do as great with Rockland, but again, Rockland was a team that struggled to hit. So I'm interested to see if he can kind of break that here in the American Association. But I'm going to kind of ignore the rotation for a little bit because that's a little troubling to me. Tyler Beardsley and Brad Adcock are like the only two where I'm really, really like, okay, they'll be really good. And Patrick Ledet's a guy I want to watch and see how he does. He's done well in the past. Uh, but the bullpen here is really the strength of the Explorers. Jose Valdez, Nick Belzer, uh, Matt Porbrieco. These are three really, really solid guys. And, of course, Nate Gherkin, who's one of the better relievers, I'd say, in the American Association in general. Uh, he had a 1.91 ERA in 47 innings uh, in 2019. 44 Ks, too. So he strikes out a lot of guys. Uh, as well he walks a good amount but I mean that 
if he's not letting them come across to score, it doesn't really matter if they're getting on base. Uh, Matt Porbrieko is another guy that's really good. He spent some time in Mexico, I think, as well. Uh, I'm not entirely certain on that, but he also strikes out a lot of guys. And a guy that could be a really kind of surprising kind of guy. He's played at lower levels, Frontier League and high A ball. But Danny Ribic is a guy that had a 2.59 year rate at those levels and struck out 77 players in 57 innings pitched. I really, really like this guy. I think he could be kind of a, a real kind of low-key potential uh, star arm in a bullpen. So... I'm not going to say they're going to challenge Kansas City or Cleburne, but I certainly think they'll put up a valiant fight. I think they'll probably wind up coming up short, barring, you know, something major happening in the roster of either of the other two teams. But this is certainly a roster and a fun team that I'm interested to see uh, how they perform. So I think for for Sioux City, uh, I think the lineup has some intriguing pieces. Uh, certainly, I think Nate Sampson, you mentioned his, his very high contact approach. Uh, but, you know, he he, struck, he did struggle with the St. Saint Paul Saints last year. Granted, 48 games in a weird season. You never know. Jose Sermo is a guy I think is going to have a big bounce back year. Mm. Um, I think that change of scenery kind of hurt him a little bit. Again, 2020 was a weird year. But his track record in any ball is so good that I, I think that he, I, I'm expecting a big, big, bounce back year from him. Another guy really like is LT Tolbert uh, playing second base. When you, when you have a middle infield, uh, a middle infielder who can hit like him, not going to hit for a ton of power per se, uh, a very high contact guy. Uh, I think that's a real plus um, in, in the middle infield um, as well as, um, as well as Michael Lang, a guy who, who, who had a nice year in the American association in 2019 as well. Jared Walker, I think, is a very important piece for this team because the, the team as a whole doesn't have a lot of power. Uh, they're going to need it from a guy like Jared Walker. He struggled in Sugarland last year uh, in their in their in their little pop up league, but they're going to need him if they're going if they're going to try and challenge uh, if they're going to try to challenge um, one of the top one of the top two teams for a playoff spot. They're going to need Jared Walker to hit. Uh, hit for power. We know he can, but he's got to cut down on the strikeouts. Uh, but he, we'll see. We'll see how he does in his uh, with a full year in Sioux City. So you touched on the bullpen. You touched on the bullpen a lot. Brandon Bosch is a guy that I got a chance to watch uh, in the All American Baseball Classic. He was absolutely terrific. Uh, didn't give up a run in 17 and two thirds innings, which was really impressive. Glad to see he got a shot in the American Association um, as well. I think even a guy like Jose Velez could be uh, could be an interesting arm out of the bullpen. But we we talked about a lot about the good. Uh, now now I got to talk some about the bad, and I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Not a huge fan of their rotation, to put it mildly. I think yeah, they're going to struggle. It, it's not good. And even a, even a guy that I want to have some intrigue about, Brett, Brett Adcock, who did pitch in double-A last year and started 19 games there, he had the ERA of 690. And usually I try not to get caught up in a lot of ERA in, uh, in affiliated ball. Um, you know, you try to look at, well, why did this happen? It's pretty clear why this happened. He walks so many guys. He walked 50 guys in 87 and a third innings. That is not going to play in the American Association. You have a lot of veteran hitters. These veteran hitters are not going to chase. 
Uh, and if double A hitters aren't going to chase, American Association guys aren't going, or even less likely to chase. Brett Adcock had, if he he has good stuff, uh, his K numbers are pretty high. So if he can, if he can harness that control a little bit, he could be decent. But that's a big if. Uh, I think t- Tyler Beardsley, a uh, guy making the, making the jump from the Frontier League, he's a very very intriguing arm to me. Uh, Xavier Altamirano. Uh, in for, coming up from high A, he struggled a lot. Not a, not a, not. I'm not all that hopeful. I think he could be a solid five, but not a whole lot more. They have a lot of solid fives in the rotation, which you know that doesn't yeah. pan out too well. Uh, and Matt Quintana, listen, he's had success before, but he had a miserable year in St. Paul uh, last year, so he's going to have to have a bounce back. I think this is. I think uh, Sioux City essentially just took a flyer on him. Uh, just to see, could he rekindle some of it? Could he potentially be a three in our rotation, maybe? Uh, but he's Quintana's got to bounce back. He's going to be a really important arm in this rotation. But, you know, I, I think the offense could have some success. The bullpen I like a lot, but the starting rotation has too many concerns for me to to really think of them seriously as, as a big-time threat to a team like Kleber and to a team like Kansas City. Yeah, I think for uh, for them, it all comes down to can like a Patrick Ledette or a Beersley or someone like that kind of step yeah. up and be a number one pitcher? Because like you said, there are a lot of number fives in this lineup. And I do want to just throw this out here before we continue on to the next team up. If you get, say, two of these guys that step up and become like real solid options, solid uh, one, two options in the rotation... And let's just say, and I know this is a lot of has to go right, so it probably won't all go right. But let's say Jared Walker gets the power number back up a little bit and the strikeouts go from, you know, 43% to, say, 35%. Do you think they have a legitimate chance at pushing either a Cleburne or a Kansas City? Not necessarily, you know, not necessarily taking a playoff spot, but just, like, really giving them a good scare down the stretch. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think that again, the, a lot of their roster is relying on guys bouncing back uh, from poor years in various places or in the American Association. So I think if they could get a bounce back from a guy like Jared Walker, uh, or you can have like Matt Quintana pitch better, uh, Beardsley continues the success from the Frontier League. Maybe Adcock gets his walks down a little bit. You know, I, I do think they could they could potentially challenge. I, I don't know if they would be. I don't know if they would overtake a team like Cleburne or Kansas City the way the rosters are currently constructed. But yeah, if they were to get those bounce backs, I definitely, I definitely could see that happening. All right, I just, I want because I know we keep talking about like these two teams are like so dominant here, but I do want to just point out they're not invincible. It's just they look really good on paper right now. But uh, well, the game's not played on paper. Exactly. But, you know. I mean, last year Chicago looked great. Um, it looked like Chicago Winnipeg was going to be the final, and well, that is true. It wound up being Milwaukee and the next team up, which is Sioux Falls, uh, the Canaries. They obviously went to the final last year. They had a, a thirty-one and twenty-seven record, and Mike Myers back for his fifth season. They're trying to get their first championship since two thousand and eight. And I gotta be honest, I am not a fan of this lineup. Charlie Valario's good. I like him. He did well. Not great, but well in the Atlantic League. 11 home runs, uh, 7.13 OPS. So, again, not terrible. Not great, but not terrible. Uh, They have 
very the problem here too is then you have a guy like Mitch Glazer who I was high high on going into last year. He didn't really do well. He didn't really last very long. Then he went to the Juliet Circuit League. Did not do well at all. Just the only positive thing here is his strikeout rate, and even that's not like it's good, but it's not the best I've seen. There's a handful of guys here that look good. Logan Landon I like. Troy Alexander I like. Jabari Henry's always a threat. He didn't have the best of year last year, but I still think he's got plenty in the tank to bounce back from. Mike Hart's not bad. Um, I'm going to try and pronounce Trey's last name here, but I know it's going to go very poorly. Um, Trey Michael Skuski. I'm going to assume that's it. That's the last time I'm ever going to say that name. Uh, and I was really hoping when I did the preview that he wasn't going to be good, so that I wouldn't have to say his name, but unfortunately he is a pretty decent. Uh, he didn't have the best numbers in AAA and AA, but I think he'll be fine in the American Association. I think he'll work out fine there. Uh, it's really the pitching staff where it comes down to here. Uh, Carlos Pimentel is probably the best pitcher on this staff. Uh, I like what he did in Sugarland, 392 ERA, 71 strikeouts and 78 innings, 35 walks is concerning, but I mean, if he gets that under control, it's not that bad. The rest of this lineup is full of just bounce back guys, and really, if you could just get two of them, then they become a lot more interesting of a team. A guy like Angel Ventura, uh, Ty Colberth, Eddie Medina, all guys that have had good years in the past or have something about them that make you go, oh, okay, they have potential. And if they could just get bounced back years from like two of them, I'd like this team a lot more. But you can't really count on bounce back years. Uh, Tyler Garko, I think he would be better in the bullpen, but they're kind of pressed for starters. So that's why he's, I kind of have him pegged as like the five guy in the rotation. Uh, bullpen options, Robbie Gordon, I really, really like. I really, really like him. Uh, 41 and a third innings. He had 59 strikeouts. Sure, 32 walks is scary. Control is an issue, but he clearly has stuff. And so, again, ERA of just over three. So, if he's not letting them score, I'm not that concerned about it. Although, again, higher level of play, so they're probably going to score more. So, if he gets control under control, I know how weird that sounds. But if he gets it under control... Uh, I like him a lot better. DJ Sharabi showed moments last year where I really liked him, so maybe he bounces back. And Grady Wood, he did better in the bullpen than he did as a starter. They may make him a starter again and take Arkow out, but I'm not sure if that's the best decision for the team. I have him as a bullpen spot starter type guy right now. Uh, overall, though, I'd say out of all the teams that we've previewed in the South Division to this point, probably the one I like the least. Uh, everyone else has something where I'm like, okay, if they if this goes right for them, they can challenge for a playoff spot, or in the case of Kansas City and Cleveland, like we keep saying, they're probably going to be in the postseason as it is. Uh, but with them, they need an awful, awful lot to go right to have a shot at it, and I just I don't see it. That said, they also have the Apollos in their division, so I don't see them being last. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm pretty much with you in this assessment, and maybe I'll be perhaps a little bit more blunt. I don't think Sioux Falls is very good at all. Uh, I think in their lineup, it's very top-heavy to me. Uh, mm. I like Jabari Henry. I like Logan Landon. I, I like a guy like Charlie Valerio. Uh, potentially Troy Alexander could be solid as well. But I think after those guys, 
it it drops off the table quickly. I mean, Nate Etheridge was great in the in the Pecos League and the Liberation League, but who knows how that translates? Um, I mean, it, and you look a guy like Nick, uh, Nick Goda, uh, who in in the Pacific Association had an OBP of five forty four, uh, which is incredible considering he hit three sixty two. However. The pitching is obviously significantly better in the American Association. You're not going to walk at that insane of a clip. It's just not going to happen. So I think that kind of minimizes his value a little bit. Uh, so the lineup, I have some concerns about it depth-wise. It has some decent guys at the top, but you know every other team does as well. As far as the rotation, Carlos uh, Pimentel, he is he is very good. He is very, very good. I think he is uh, among one of the better art, better starters uh, in the American Association. He's a guy I really liked in Sugarland. He got a win uh, in the in Game Two of the um, of the Atlantic League Championship Series in Long Island against the Ducks. That it was a great performance. He's been on the biggest stage in indie ball. Uh, I think he is he is a great number one here. I, I really do like him a lot. To be honest with you, after this, it's kind of a flaming disaster. Uh, waiting to happen, like a ticking time bomb, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Uh, I mean, Angel Ventura uh, was not very good at all in Milwaukee. Ty Colbreth, former big leaguer, uh, so maybe a hope for a bounce back there. I don't know. He was he was pretty terrible in Sioux Falls last year. Also a 6.32 ERA, uh, and uh, and Garco, you know, it's weird because. I think he's a little bit better than his numbers showed uh, in um, in the little Black Sox pop-up league uh, over in, uh, over where they played at the Washington Wild things. Just because, look, 19 and two-thirds innings, three walks compared to 23 strikeouts. That's very good, but 25 hits. That, to me, uh, signals that the defense wasn't so great behind him. Uh, so I think he's a little bit better. However, I totally agree with your assessment. I would have him in the bullpen. Like I, I, I don't having him trying to face a lineup two, three times kind of scares me. Uh, and Eddie Medina, I mean, he had a seven point two four ERA last year. Uh, in, last year with St. Paul and Sioux Falls, I don't really know what good there is to say about that. Uh, you know, and, and the bullpen, I think a couple of decent arms. I, I agree. I think Robbie Gordon, if he can keep those control issues, uh, if he could try to get some con- the, those control problems under wraps. I mean, the dude gave up 22 hits and walked 32. I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, that's not good. But that's like, how's that possible? Yeah, like, like, it's a fixable issue. It's like you see it and you just go, if you could just control where you're throwing the ball, you'd you probably could, be an affiliated ball. Yeah, like it's just like, I feel like this is a coachable issue. Potentially, yeah. I mean, uh, but otherwise, I think the bullpen is not great. So I, I think. There's some decent guys in their lineup, but I think the pitching is not good at all. Like potentially, like the worst, probably like ten. I would put like their pitching in general like tenth in the league, mm-hmm. uh, maybe eleventh. Uh, them and Gary are, I guess, kind of close in that regard. But, uh, but yeah, luckily they they get to get some. Um, they, they they will get to get some free wins against the team we are going to talk about next. Oh, absolutely. The the Houston Apollos are are up next, and uh, I hate being mean because like I understand these guys are doing the best they can, and they don't get a say in who they play, and it's all relative. 
you know, and you say, oh, they're not a good ball player. They're still good ball players. It's just relative to their competition, they're not particularly good. And so David Pearson, I think, is going to be the manager of the team. It's not really exactly clear on the website. And also their team's not on point streak. You have to go to the Houston Apollo website. That looks like it's honest to God out of 1995. But Well, that, that's a problem when you say, well, I think he's the manager. Yeah, It just says coach. And then it has a friend of the show, TJ's. Uh, TJ's there, what's his name? Also there. I, I want, for some reason, I think TJ may be the manager. But Peterson's the dude that's listed at like at top of him. So it, I don't really know. So those are the two coaches. So one of them's the manager. I don't really know. Honestly, I don't think it matters because this is just not a good team. Like for the preview list, I put top players at the top, like guys that we should talk about, like make a note of talking about these guys. None of them. And I mean, none of them would be like on that list for any other team. And again, it's no disrespect to these guys. They just haven't played a high level of competition. Like, with the exception of two or three of them, they just really haven't. It's a lot of All-American Baseball Challenge, Liberation League, uh, Pecos League, some Pacific Association in there. There's a handful of guys that have some Atlantic League experience and some Frontier League. Uh, Alvaro Gonzalez played in Mexico a little bit, you know, the, the LMB. He did okay. I mean, two home runs, slash line 177, 278, 355, OPS 633 in 35 games in 2019. So not terrible. I mean, not good, but I mean, like, it could have been worse, I guess is how I'll phrase it. Uh, that, and also, I honestly don't really trust a lot of these numbers because I don't really trust the Pecos League because, like, we've talked to coaches before and they're like, uh, when you're dealing with the Pecos League, you're more going off the coach's word than the numbers because it's hard to really say there and, like, numbers are inflated and whatnot. It's just, it's hard. Also, there's not really a natural center fielder on this team, or at least not one I could find because, like, five or six of these guys do not have a baseball reference page. Um, I will say Daniel Aldrich is kind of an interesting guy, 285, 393, 599 is a slash, uh, 24 home runs, 332, uh, for the K rate, 992 OPS in 85 games, mostly in the Pecos League, but there were some games in the Atlantic League with the Road Warriors in 2018, of course, that's three years ago now, so I mean, like, you know, touch and go there, not great. I will say Ian Yuxo does look interesting in the sense. I understand it's a lot of Pecos League and Liberation League, but he hit seven home runs. He doesn't strike out that much, nearly a 300 hitter. Uh, Pitching-wise, I only really see like three starters. Again, there's some guys that may be starters, but they don't have a baseball reference page, so I don't really know. Phil Rowland's kind of interesting. Kenny Pearson's kind of interesting. Both of ERA's under three, which playing in the Pecos League is impressive. Although I will say with Pearson, that's only like 14 innings pitched. Rowland's more impressive. He had eight starts, 225 ERA, 3-3 record, 40 innings, uh, 36 hits, 32 walks, which, you know, concerning Robbie Gordon-like numbers against not as good competition. 41 strikeouts, though. That That's a positive. Um... I will say in the bullpen, uh, Ryan Richardson's interesting. Uh, 0.51 ERA. So sub-1 ERAs are cool. Uh, 
50 or 35 innings pitched, 19 hits, two earned runs, 50 or 46 Ks, my mistake, two walks, no game start and 35 appearances with Sonoma in the Pacific Association in 2019. Although I believe he's in his late 20s, so that could very well be the reason why he may just be overpowering a bunch of guys in their early 20s. Long and short is they are a road warrior team. They're not really designed to be competitive. They're designed to fill up a schedule. It's the Pecos League All-Stars. Again, I, I want to be wrong. I want them to be good. I want them to be competitive baseball. I'm sure they're all really nice guys, and they're all talented ball players, or at least more so than I am, but just stacked up to the rest of the competition. Uh, they're just they're just not that good, to be honest. They're just really not. Yeah, I'm gonna keep this. I'm gonna keep this one short and sweet. I think when you have guys, and, and again, this is a traveling team. You gotta, you gotta understand what your expectations are here. Your expectations can't be too high for for guys like the for for teams like these. I should say. I mean, you you got some guys. I think I think you're right. I think Richardson on the bullpen could be something. Maybe a guy who gets traded midseason to a to an act to a contender. Uh, I think we, we saw that certainly when the road warriors were in the Atlantic league in 20, uh, in, in 20, I believe 2018, that was, yep. uh, so you could have guys like that, but I think overall, I think this team's going to struggle. Uh, I, I think the specifically on the pitching side, I, I just don't think they have enough. They don't have enough guys in their starting rotation who are used to pitching at this level and used to pitching the guys that they'll be facing, uh, every day. So listen, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the goal for these guys is to almost try to get traded uh, to uh, to one of these contending teams and try to make a name for themselves and try to get a shot in the American Association long term. So on that on that note, it's it's a it's a good opportunity for those guys. But I, I do think that they're going to struggle a lot. Uh, they're they're definitely going to struggle. I don't know how many games they'll win. Probably not many. Uh, every win should be celebrated. And uh, yeah, so that that that's about that's about all I have to say. They're they're the clear last place team, as they is pretty expected given that they are uh, a road team, a traveling team, whatever you like to call it. Yeah, exactly that. And uh, I will say before we kind of talk about like predictions for standings and things like that, there was something that came to me before we started the Apollo's uh, preview, and I I want to just go back to it real quick. I wonder, you know, if the with Sioux Falls, obviously not a terrific team, but there are two guys on there which I think would make a huge impact on other teams. If Pimitel was dealt to, say, Sioux City, and they got him as a legitimate number one pitcher, yeah. then Sioux City would be a very, very interesting team to watch. And I, and I wonder, if Lincoln were to pick up Robbie Gordon, we know Brett Jody knows pitching. He just he's real good at that. I wonder if he could help kind of work out the kinks in his game. Yeah, I, I could see it. You should call just call Brett Jody and be like, "Hey, this is a trade you got to make, man." Hey, just get me his number, and I will. Yo, Brett, you look, I know roster construction, kind of not really, but I know, but I know it. You want Robbie Gordon because you could just get his walk rate like thirty three percent down. You got yourself a hell of a middle inning reliever. Right. Ab- absolutely. I think it- that'll be interesting. Maybe he fixed it in the, in the time off. You never know. Yeah, hopefully. I like, I really want to see Robbie Gordon do well. I really do. Definitely. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. But yeah. So I guess on that note, we could kind of, 
uh, predictions and projections for how the standings are going to shake out and then uh, who we ultimately think is going to wind up winning the league this year. And if you have any front runner for MVP or pitcher of the year or anything like that, uh, for me, I think the North division, it's going to be Milwaukee for certain. I think that's pretty close to a lock uh, as it stands right now. I know it's not going to be Chicago. I know it's not going to be Gary. Uh, I hesitate to say Winnipeg just because last year, we saw that they can get out to a lead, but then they can struggle. And I don't think any more time would have helped Winnipeg out. It was pretty clear the trajectory. So that definitely scares me away. I want to say Kane County because I could see them making a push and making it interesting. But it's going to be Fargo-Moorhead and Milwaukee, I think, in the end. I really am high on their lineup. I really am high on the just the sheer offensive potential in the Fargo-Moorhead lineup. And likewise, I think the pitching is going to hold up fine. I think you're going to get enough of a recovery on the guys that need to recover on the pitching side of things to make it, you know, good enough to get you to the postseason, certainly. Tyler Pike, I'm really big on. I think Kevin Hegert could really do well. He, I chalk up a lot of his numbers, which really aren't even that bad. 461 ERA uh, in over 138 innings pitched, and he struck out enough and really didn't walk anybody. I mean, 138 and two-thirds innings, 34 walks in 22 starts. I mean, that's pretty damn good. Uh, so, And he played in the PCL. So, again, I, I want to give him some leeway on that front. I think he'll be solid. Him and Pike, I think, will be pretty good. I'd like them to add one other arm there, but I think if McGowan can bounce back or Verstein or Versteeg uh, looks good, it'll be good there. And their bullpen, I'm not concerned about at all. So I think it winds up being Fargo, Moorhead, and uh, Milwaukee in the final in the north. And I'd say King County probably comes up just shy on that. And then Chicago or Gary, doesn't really matter who's in the four or the five. You're just as screwed either way. Yeah, so for the for the north, I have um, I have Milwaukee coming in first, and I'm gonna take a leap of, leap of faith again, and I swear if Winnipeg screws me again, this will be the last time that I that I will do this. I'm gonna have Winnipeg coming in second. I like their roster. I think this is the year they do it. I think they come back after they honestly got humiliated at the end of last season. I think Winnipeg's gonna finish. Uh, finish second place. I have Fargo Moorhead uh, coming in third. I think Fargo Moorhead and Kane County will be close. I'll have Kane County uh, fourth, uh, Chicago fifth, and Gary South Shore rounding out the North Division. Uh, and I have in that playoff series, I have Milwaukee uh, going to the finals. I think they're just, I mean, they're they're just that good. So I, I think we we've talked Milwaukee. Uh, so much about Milwaukee. Their pitching is just so unbelievable. I think they will be getting to the finals out of the North. I'm a real big believer in the Red Hawks. I'm going to differ with you. And the team you don't have making the postseason, I think, can make it to a championship game. Maybe it's because I just like listening to Jack Michaels call games because he really does have oh, a great voice. absolutely. He has the best voice absolutely. in the American Association. I mean, Absolutely. Like, like, honestly, I watched too many Red Hawk games last year just because I was like, ah, you know what? And they may get the crap kicked out of them, but I really like listening to this dude. So I could not agree more. He like for people that haven't listened to a Red Hawks game. Jack Michaels has a just a baseball voice. I think that's the best way of describing it. It's just a voice where you just turn it on. And you're like, oh, this is nice. 
And like, ah, like, that's nice. So maybe it's that that makes me pick Fargo Moorhead. But I really do think they're going to get enough offense to really do well. I think there's just so much potential in that lineup. Like I said, I think that the rotation will hold out. I think the bullpen will hold out. And I think they can outlast Milwaukee. Milwaukee's pitching is good. I mean, you, we talked a lot about it, like you said. I just don't think their bats are going to show up enough. I, I don't have enough belief in that. Last year they didn't, and they were able to pull it out. I'm not sure they're going to get as lucky this time around. Uh, you can only get away with it for so for so long before it really comes back to bite you. Um, that said, I also didn't put Peg Winnipeg in there anywhere. I have them as either like three or four. Uh, really, it's Kane County that I see them as pretty equal teams in my mind. Maybe that's a bit wrong, but it's just the way I view it. And like you said, it, it's Gary and Chicago rounding up the bottom. Uh, now to go to the division where we just were previewing it in the South Division. I think we're both in the lockstep here when we say it's Kansas City and Cleburne in the end. Probably Sioux City in the three, Lincoln in the four, then Sioux Falls in the five, and the Apollos in the six. Yeah, so, yeah, I've, uh, as you could probably guess, Kansas City one, uh, Cleburne two. Uh, hmm. I'm trying to think who I, who I could put for for three. I mean, it has to either be Lincoln or Sioux City, really. I mean, it's not going to be Sioux Falls. We just spend enough time. Yeah, you months. know, I'll, I'll go I'll go Lincoln three. I'll go uh, I'll go Sioux City four, Sioux Falls five, and the Houston Apollos six. Yeah, I see for me, uh, the order it is, I don't think it, I think Cleburne and Kansas City are going to be battling back and forth between one and two all year. I th- I'm really a believer in Sioux City. I really wish they were in the North Division because I'd peg them to take that final playoff spot. I really do like their team, but they just don't have the starting pitching in my mind to be a serious contender. That said, that established, it's going to be Cleburne. It's going to be Kansas City. I want to say Cleburne. I really, really want to say Cleburne because I think they're a I want to say they're a better team because I like their pitching better. At least they're starting pitching better. But I think Kansas City's bullpen can bail out bad starts. I'm not sure if they can do it all year, but I think they can do it when it matters. And lineup-wise, I mean, Kansas City's just so stacked. I mean, like there really isn't a weak spot uh, in that whole lineup. Even if they get rated, they're just so deep. And... On the flip side, Cleburne, while they are pretty deep too, I mean, don't get me wrong, I feel like Narriers do for a back bounce back year. I feel like Ramon Hernandez is going to hit a little bit better. Clevin's going to hit a little bit better. Vaughn, I think, will do fine. Martinez, who knows? Simpson will do well. Lago will always do well. Nestor will always do well. Buck, I think, will continue to do well. It's just, you're just, it's a lot of thinking on it. I think it will go the distance. I think it will be a five-game set, but I think it's Kansas City and Fargo-Moorhead for me in the final. Uh, for you? Yeah, so I, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you on Kansas City. I just I, I just think there's too much talent there. If they can keep that group together, I think their lineup just mashes. It just absolutely mashes. And I think the starting rotation will be good enough, and you're going to hand it to that lights-out bullpen. I just think they're going to be too good. Uh, they're too strong. Cleburne, I like a lot. Cleburne is a team that I think could take, could potentially take Kansas City in a series just because their starting rotation is that good. And that always helps you in a playoff series. 
however, I do have Kansas City coming out on top and heading to the final against Milwaukee. And, you know, as far as the final, I there's an argument to be made for both. I'm going to go Milwaukee because of their pitching. I, I think that that's perfectly set up. For a for a series, uh, for for a postseason series, uh, that maybe and they have the edge in the starting rotation department over Kansas City, and as well as the bullpen. Even though Kansas City definitely has a pretty significant lineup edge, but I, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Fargo Moorhead. Uh, sorry, not Fargo Moorhead. What am I talking about? Milwaukee. Uh, that I'm gonna I'm gonna have the Milwaukee Milkmen repeating as champions. See. For me, like I said, I got Fargo Moorhead in the final, and I got uh, Kansas City in the final. I want to pick the Red Hawks again because I kind of want to hear Jack Michaels call a championship win. However, when you look at the two teams, I think Kansas City is the better overall team, and so for that reason, I go Kansas City. I like I said, I think they're too deep. I think if you get a guy like Eric Stout to bounce back, if Dylan Baker just pitches a little bit better and Justin Schaefer, you know, does well, which he's coming right off a major league season, granted only a few innings in the majors, but still a major league season nonetheless. If he just does, a, if he does what he should do, I feel confident enough in that st- like one, two, three rotation there, which is realistically all you need. And I believe it's a best of five series in the final. So, you're, you'll be fine there. Plus, if you do get into that much trouble, you have a bullpen where you can hand it off to after, say, even three innings and just really say, look, we just need you for like another 10 days to give everything you have and just dig deep and get it. I think they will be able to. And I think when you compare the two lineups between Fargo-Moorhead and between in the uh, the Monarchs, the Monarchs are just a deeper team. They're more a proven team. And I will say it will be close. That would be a very, very fun series to watch. But I think Kansas City winds up taking it. I think they get their first win since 2018. And, uh, yeah, I think that's how that winds up shaking out there. But uh, with that yeah. said, do we have an MVP and a Pitcher of the Year? We're not going to go into the other awards. The big two are really Pitcher of the Year and MVP. So do you have yes. a prediction on those two? I do. I have so my MVP uh, this year. I'm gonna say I'm gonna go with David Vidal uh, of the uh, of the Lincoln Salt Dogs. I think uh, he, I think he is he, he tore up Mexico uh, and that transit had 20 home runs in 103 games there. Uh, it, that's a really really talented league, and so I, I think that um, in such a talented league that making the transition to the American Association is. It's kind of a almost sort of is an easier one for him. I think the numbers you'll see him put up um, are just going to be insane. So you know, I I think you can make an argument for you can make you can certainly make an argument for um, plenty of guys, plenty of guys there. Uh, but I do think that uh, uh, David Vidal will be the MVP. And you know, as far as as far as the pitcher of the year. I struggled a bit with this one, but I'm going to go back to the beginning of the preview. And it's because I like this guy that much. With the Chicago Dogs. The Chicago Dogs, not that good of a team in general. But I really love this guy that much. I think Michael Bowden is going to win the Pitcher of the Year. Yes. 
He was so good, so good in high point. His K numbers uh, were terrific there. He did. He has. He didn't have control problems. Two ninety three ERA in in a high point. Um, and I think him making the transition to the American Association, I think he's going to be outstanding this year. I think he's. Uh, I think he is going to be uh, a very very good arm for the dogs this year perhaps their only good arm maybe but uh but that's besides the point i think michael bowden is going to win pitcher of the year so for me i i agree with you with vidal i honestly think it will wind up being vidal will be mvp if he's here the whole year that said for the sake of just being different i'm gonna take a really outside the box pick a guy that honestly he probably is not gonna win it but what the hell, let's have some fun. I'm going to say Will Kangor. Just because I really like what he did in Somerset. I mean, Christ knows he was like their sole source of offense in 2019. Mm-hmm. So I could very well see him against, let's be real, not quite as good pitching. Really doing well in Kansas City. Plus, he has a great lineup around him. So, I mean, it's not exactly like you could go, okay, well, if we just kind of pitch around him and give him nothing good to hit, then... We got nothing else to worry about here. It's, okay, if we pitch around him, then, well, we still got a lot of threats around us. So that also helps more guys on base. So traditional counting stats, it just stats in general will be better when you have guys on base in front of you. So I really, I I think he's in a little bit of an outside-the-box pick, but I could very well see him just kind of swiping that MVP award. As far as pitcher of the year goes, there's two names I have in my mind, and I'm concerned because the one I could definitely see getting picked up, and that's Pim Mattel. I think he could do really, really well, especially standing out on an otherwise pretty unexceptional team. So I could see him winning it, certainly. Then the more, again, outside-the-box kind of pick is Michael Gunn. He's a guy who likely will be in Cleburne all year. Again, he has a good team there. He's going to have a lot of games against Houston. He's going to have a lot of games against Sioux Falls. That's certainly going to help a team like Lincoln that may not be the best offensive team. He's going to have games against them. Sure, he'll have his fair share of rough games against Kansas City, and that certainly will hurt, but I wouldn't be shocked to see him win Pitcher of the Year. But if I'm picking, I would probably agree with you and go Vidal and I go Pimitel as my two, but I'm going to say Kangor and Pimitel. We're going to go with that. I like it. Yeah, I like it. So with that said, I think we are just about done with this preview. This episode is going to be really long. And I will say right now, I do want to take some time. I apologize for the tech issues earlier. I don't know why that was, but the past hour has been real clean. Knock on wood. So at at least half of this is going to sound really clear. And hopefully in the edit, you didn't even realize there were tech issues. If I I do my job right, then you won't notice. So (laughs) let's hope I do a good job. But let's hope so. Yeah. And if there was any news this week, well, we just didn't get to it because already this is going to be like two and a half hours long. I don't ever want to see a three hour long show. I really can't imagine there's any demand for that. But, you know, if there is, let us know. I'm sure we could find a way to BS for three hours. (laughs) Oh, good way. Yeah. We'll give each league an hour of time. (laughs) But, uh, that said, uh, I guess we could just go to the plugs and get out of here. Uh, 
If you want to follow the show, and you probably will want to follow the show with all the independent league baseball, partnership league ball coming back now, you could do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You could do so on Instagram at IndieBallReport and at ALPB underscore news, which you're going to want to pay attention to that because you're going to see a lot of Atlantic League previews coming up within the next two weeks. So that's definitely something you want to keep your eyes open for. Uh, then you can follow the show wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, Amazon Music, Apple Music, uh, I guess Amazon or Apple Podcast, uh, Google Podcast, like I said, just about anywhere you can find podcast, uh, you can find the show as well. And you can find the show notes, so links to everything uh, we discussed today, including some articles by our guest Adam Friedman explaining the whole Jackson General situation. I know that's hours ago now, but it was still a good interview, and I'm sure you enjoyed it, and I'm sure you want to know more about the situation. So you'll want to go to the website, IndieBallReport.com, go to the show notes tab, go to episode 114, and take a look at all the links there to all of those articles. And also there's going to be probably some articles up there as well on our own end, which are essentially all the previews thrown into one article in case you're not on social media, but still want to read the previews and get some more in-depth thoughts on each of the teams we discussed today. So with that said, do we have anything else left to add? Uh, quick thing I have left to add, uh, just you already kind of mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week on ALPB News is going to be very exciting. Uh, we're going to start the preseason power rankings, which uh, everyone gets fired up about. So uh, I can't wait to get. I can't wait to sit down and write some previews, get what, get everyone's feedback about them, and uh, very excited. That'll start this week. Not 100% sure of the first day that the my number eight team will go up, but uh, I can guarantee you it will be very exciting. And you want to stay tuned for that ALPB underscore news on Instagram. Yeah, you definitely do. They're always very well written. And also, you're going to be shocked at number eight. I hear it's going to be Lexington at number eight. Will hated the whole offseason. Too many too many uh, former New York area players, not enough former Red Sox. So, number eight. <laughs> and I, I, no, hate, that... I hate to spoil the number one team, too, but it's Gastonia. Yeah, you're good. You, you, you just ruined it. I know. I just ruined it. I mean, although, to be fair, with Jake Buchanan getting picked up, I, I don't know. Maybe now they get dropped to the two-hole. That's true. That's a good point. I mean, <laughs> maybe they need to get some of these Houston Apollos in there. That would help up the team. Yeah, I think they're already there. <laughs> they're already there. Uh, so I guess I'm kind of, my thing to add this week. I did have a couple other rants, but this is long enough. So I'm just going to take something short and sweet. I'm not sure if this deal is still going on, but the York Revolution has a sale. $5 hats on former Atlantic League teams. They're not bad looking hats and the shipping's only five bucks. I picked up like three of them and it ran me about 20 bucks in total. So really, really good deal. Definitely check it out if you're in the market for a hat. That'd be New Britain, Somerset, Sugarland, any of those three. They have the all-star hat and the all-black hat. So uh, check that out if you're in the market for a hat. There you go. Yep. So with that said, nothing else left to add. Uh, you know the drill around here. Until next time, don't forget to play ball.